Recorded in the comfy confines of the Auto Media Group Studios, we bring you the Get Deep Podcast, part of the Connect Podcast Network. Join friends and business owners, Aaron Jones and Wes Otto, as they bring forth stories of guests who are movers and shakers in their industries and beyond. Thankfully, our our mailman is very good looking, so this worked out really well. (laughs) (laughs) Our delivery driver, no, terrible. Um, yeah, they're, they're obviously, I think they're super cute. I'm a, you know, the only thing that I'll, I, I bring up sometimes, and this is just me being completely selfish, um, but transparent is I wish one of them would have got my brown eyes mm-hmm. and, uh, they have beautiful blue eyes. Both of them do. And Molly is kind of like, they're not even, she doesn't really have extremely blue eyes. She's sure. got like this kind of greenish hazel, hazel. bluish, mm-hmm. you know, and they're really pretty. I love her eyes. Mm-hmm. But I kind of, you know, they taught you in, in uh, biology yep. in high school at West, you know, all the allele charts and all this stuff. So I thought f- for sure I was going to get a brown-eyed yeah, kid, dominant. you know, the dominant allele right. and all that stuff. And they came out blue, and they're great, and they're beautiful. But I, you know, I get a little sad yeah. about that sometimes. Maybe too much. So, Wes, should I get over it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. They're good-looking uh, kids. Okay, fine. Um, they're healthy. Tonight's yeah, the night I'm going to get over it. Uh, they're healthy. That's the important part. Right? That is the important part. Look at this. Listen to this guy. Yeah, he'll be such a good dad That's someday. What you hope for. So. Yeah, you Thank know, you. Uh, we have Carter's got brown, brown eyes like Chris, and Maria got blue eyes. But once we had Carter, we wanted to name her Maria, and we was, we were kind of thinking that Spanish Maria, even though I named her after The Sound of Music. Maria. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then she came out blue eyed and blonde, and we're like, whoa, how do you do? <laughs> Both extremes. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Good. It works. Well, you also have really uh, good-looking, good-looking children. You do. They're good really good-looking kids. They're so. good inside too. That's yeah, most important. They yeah. are. I, I really enjoy watching them get more and more involved over the years in the community mm-hmm. and you know in business and doing all the things. It's just been, it's neat. I, I there's, I'm a cheerleader for business. Mm-hmm. So is Wes. So are really all of us sitting in this room, and uh, so it's fun to see generational they businesses love this community they love living here and i'm so thrilled and thankful and grateful that they want to be here and yeah. never in a million years growing up did i think that this was going to be like this and it is and it's just like wow yeah well, wow. it's really great when that's possible because mm-hmm. there's so many people within mine and maria's and, and carter's generation that yeah. just before they've even finished high school, oh, I'm, I'm going to the cities or I'm going to the coasts even. Right, you know? right. It's, Mankato isn't part of the plan. So you, to your point, it's really wonderful that they've embraced it and they love it and that it works for them. And obviously the community has shown that love back with the success that they've had too. Oh, thank you. So, thank you. Yeah. Well, tonight is an interesting one because this is the first time that we've split into two podcasts, kind of a husband-wife Right sure. story because your husband Carter or Carter huh, CJ yep. uh, was on the podcast previously, but I'm really glad that we did because you guys have such unique stories and and really fun and cool businesses uh, separately. When we had CJ on the show, he was really generous, brought us a couple of bottles of whiskey and then also some ice, and I <laughs> yeah. mean that in the literal like sense, real ice, not the, not diamond Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, it, yeah, yeah. Not, not yeah I could have brought ice too. Yeah, I guess where was I your know ice? <laughs> she's wearing some nice. She's wearing some ice tonight. Some very nice yeah, ice. Yeah. Oh, she brought you guys ice. Oh, oh, <laughs> Exclusively good. style. There you go. 
I uh, I loved that when he walked in with that bag of ice uh-huh. uh, with him, and he had this hat on that him and Carter both bought those kind of cool. Right. I don't know, are they cowboy hats or whatever well, the heck they wear? Southern. Little, yeah, they're just like Colorado style. Just I don't know. They just like they it, own it. It was great. <laughs> it was it was really cool. So yeah. So wonderful. But yes, thank you so much, Sarah, for, for joining us. Um, did you even, did you, you said who was on the podcast? I don't even know if we introduced her yet. Do people know no, you? But people have probably read the title. It's Sarah Pearson. Hey. <laughs> well, Sarah Pearson is on the uh, podcast with us tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time, by well, the way. You're a busy I am gal. Super honored that you would find me worthy to be on here. So thank you. You are very thank worthy. Thank you. Saw her a couple hours ago, um, at, you know, two, two and a half hours ago, picking up her grandkids at our daycare center. My kids go to the same daycare center as her grandchildren. So I get to see you in passing, which I always enjoy. I love that. And I get to see your wonderful. kids and they're beautiful yeah. and yeah. it's just really fun. I love going to pick up my kids, my grandkids, because, um, there's no bigger joy than when they reach out and they're so excited to see you and, yeah. I just, I can't get over that feeling yet. I still love it every single time. So as soon as Maria says, can you go get the kids? We go, yeah, yeah. And then we kind of fight over who gets to go. (laughs) Rock, paper, scissors in the kitchen. I want to go. I want to go. That's great. Well, it was cute. I was walking in one of the days and uh, you were sitting uh, on the playground that is very conveniently right outside the door. Right. So... uh, if you want to get out in a hurry, it's completely a trap because uh, you can't. There's swings and play sets and everything else. So you got to stop for a moment. But anyways, you were sitting on the, the rubber like mat out there with the yes. two kids running around and they were swinging and it was just a cute, cute scene. And oh, I thought that was thanks. super cool. We did the same thing so. today. We had to swing and then yeah. we had to go to two different slides yeah. and then we had to, I had to figure out a way how to get them in the car. So I said, you know what? I think Papa's going to come to your house too. <laughs> and then that was like, okay, they got excited and we got to leave. <laughs> gotcha. It's always a battle to get them out of there. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they enjoy it. So yep. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, we always like to start out whenever we can, kind of at the beginning of the story. And you come from a multi-generational business, which is always a, a spot that's kind of near and dear to me. But uh, maybe I'll just let you take the reins from here and, and talk about growing up in, in the Mankato area and... Yeah, yeah. I, I moved here, family moved here when I was four. Okay. And so we lived um, over in some apartments for a while, and then we ended up um, building a house on Maribou Drive. So it was 128 Maribou Drive. Loved my childhood. We had so many kids in that neighborhood. We would run around and play, you know, all kinds of different games and have football games in the backyard. Where is Maribou Drive? Right by Kennedy School. Okay. Um, it's there's a field between Kennedy and Maribou Drive. So um, when I went to grade school, I'd have to cross the field, and I was deathly afraid of snakes. <laughs> so I would start off at the um, yard and then go run and do a dash all across the whole field till I got to oh, funny. Kennedy. But I it maybe be a really good fast runner. And I think <laughs> it was that fear of snakes that got me <laughs> to like yeah. be able to move that fast. And so but we we had just a really neat neighborhood. Um at that time my dad was working for the school district and he um was had taught every grade from, you know, kindergarten to sixth, and then he was the principal for a while, and then he was elementary director and administrator. Well, when my mom got her college degree at age 37, we were little, and she's kind of putting herself through college, and um, she ended up wanting to teach in the district, but she couldn't because of his position, so 
she started teaching over in Waterville and taught secondary special ed. And so that's, you know, our education was huge in our family. And so I always thought, when I grow up, I want to be a teacher. And so we'd play school down our basement all the time. And my dad would brought home like this big chalkboard. And I was the oldest, so I got to always be the (laughs) teacher. And Betsy, my sister, always had to be the student. And she was, but I I taught her how to read before she went to uh, kindergarten. Wow. And she was just like, we just had played school a lot every day. And I thought, that's the direction. That's what I'm going to do is teach. And so it kind of changed from there. But um, my mom then was teaching for probably, oh, I bet you nine years and decided that she started selling jewelry on the side. And then she ended up having to... um, you don't kind of have people come over to our house at that point. We had moved to the country. We lived out by Terrace View, and we um, had this great house out in the woods by Terrace View. There was only four homes in this development, and so, but people were coming out to our house that we didn't really know, and so she kind of got really nervous about that and said, you know, if I'm going to do this and I have a passion for this, I'm going to have to make a decision if I'm going to keep teaching or not. And so that was the first time where I saw my mom start to dabble in business and just love the, you know, meeting with customers and fulfilling their needs and wanting what they had. Because she would bring, she'd have a briefcase on her dining room table and she'd sell jewelry and diamonds out of that. So it feels kind of mafia like. It was. It was sort of, yeah. It was kind of like. How does one go about doing that out of their house? I mean, I assume that you have to develop relationships with some sort of... Right. It started out with everybody that she knew, and um, then it became, you know, it got more and more people that heard about Sally. Sure. And they wanted to go and see what Sally had in a briefcase, and so then she started making appointments and doing that kind of thing, and pretty soon it just mushroomed into, like, a, a really good side business. And, um, it's a long shot, but did you guys keep the briefcase? Is that like part of the, Ah, you you know what, (laughs) that's a really good question. And I had it for a long, long time and I don't know what ever happened to it. And she had it for a long, long time. And then it was just like, I I don't know where that's at right now, but it would have been a really good thing to just put in the side of the store and look at it every now and then. Hundred percent. Cool right. piece of history to look at where everything started. You know, just that right. one briefcase to the wonderful lineup that you guys have today with all the wonderful products and the big store. And yeah, I mean, wow, what a what a transformation. But yeah, growing up, it was like, I mean, I loved school. I just loved being active. I would do you know any like all through. I do anything that I could extracurricular to. So, um, but ended up like in some major things, like I do tennis. And then I was in debate and to clam. And then I played French horn. And also um, my junior and senior year golfed. And um, it was just like kind of a mix of sports and, you know, I don't know, just speech and music and I just like trying a lot of different things along the way yeah have any of those things carried over into today golf 
French horn <laughs> debating uh, with people. Debating is probably if you ask my husband and my son, <laughs> those two. <laughs> Co- you know, constructive conversations, uh, right. right? Yeah. I love constructive conversations sure. like that and just like to take an issue and, you know, hear somebody's side of it and then understand what they're thinking about, you know, when they're saying a certain way of belief and then, you know, being able to say what I think. And sometimes my, my family says that I always say what I think. And even if I don't, they can tell on my face what I'm thinking. But, um, That's I, not a bad thing. Is that a bad uh, thing? Just don't play poker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm exactly. a speech nerd. So when you said speech, I, I'm just oh, curious, yeah. what category did you do? Do you remember? Or um, did you Poetry. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. What did you do? I was in the, um, what do they call it? The, the platform side where it's more boring. It's not as artistic. So I did discussion, which I think is like one of the newest categories. So oh, I don't that's know if neat. That I don't even, even ha- I don't think we had that. It's a bit more like a group debate. So you okay. just, you kind of go through the exercise of here's a problem. How do we solve it together? But then judges have to decide, okay, who in the room kind of led the conversation, brought the most value to it, brought a consensus for everyone. So it was kind of a, an interesting hybrid of maybe what you might even see in a boardroom. What a great thing. You know, yeah. I wish they would have had that. I would have loved that. Yeah, it was a really great exercise. And I think those fine arts, which never get the kind of glory that the sports no. do, are usually the ones that maybe make the biggest difference mm-hmm. in people's lives. Oh, you know, I know. Forward. So you feel like you've used that a lot in what you do now? Yeah, for sure. I think that there's certain skill sets to be able to read a room, read a conversation. I mean, even in podcasting, to be able to do a a better job of reading body language. When is the right time to jump in? When is the right time to change the conversation? Right. When you're on boards, too. So I wondered if maybe being on some of the boards you've been on, too, that's that's kind of assisted. Well, and there's even like some Robert's Rules kind of stuff. So I got an introduction to that as a 16-year-old that, you know, most kids have no idea about even until they get on their first board kind of thing. But, you know, my, a lot of my family members have done it. I just, I wanted to give a shout out mm-hmm. to it because I think that it's, it's always fun whenever you can get your kids involved in that. Oh, I think so too. I tried to get my kids involved and they just thought that, you know, French horn and debate and declam. I was sort of a nerd. They go, mom, were you really a nerd? And I go, look, well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I probably maybe it out for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. It worked okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Very good. So oh. jumping back a little bit, what, years or kind of time period was Sally s- selling jewelry off uh, out of that uh, dining room table. the dining room table out of the briefcase so 79 80 okay. and maybe even a little bit into 78 but yeah that, those, that was the time that she was doing it and then she was teaching at the same time okay and then um, she had to make that decision you know and that was a hard decision to make because um, teaching is secure for her and she you know, had all the benefits, and but yet my dad could carry the benefits for her, for um, the family too as well. But she um, decided to look around for a location, and she started looking around. Well, that's when the downtown mall was thriving, and there was not a spot in that mall available. So the spot uh, closest to the action was the fourth floor of the Matt J. Gray building. Mm-hmm. And we had... Um, she looked at it and she says, yeah, this is where I want to have my office. You know, there's no room downstairs in the mall, but this, this is going to be something great, you know? And, um, people thought she was crazy and she would go from bank to bank. Um, she went to seven different bankers before the eighth banker said, yes, I'll loan you the money. It's a heck of a story in and of itself. It's always tough to get that first, you know, buy-in. 
And, she, I, f- and she, I feel like we hear that quite often too, right? On this time, podcast, like. the fourth, the fifth, the tenth yeah. banker finally gave them a shot. Bankers, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you keep well, making mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I know. And it was like, you know, she, and then they heard, you know, well, she's going to be up on the fourth floor of the Magic Grave building. And, you know, what? how is she going to get people to come all the way up there and see her product? You don't even walk by that space. So she got a... Um, a loan finally for $45,000 at 21% interest rate. And she put in 2500 of her own money because that's what she had in savings. And she started exclusively diamonds on the fourth floor. Amazing. Yeah. Heck of a risk at that interest this rate. This was in the early to mid 80s? This was 80s, in the 80s. Okay. Okay. 1980. So I was um, going away to college at that time. So I graduated in 81, and so, you know, when she was starting to really, you know, do the store, I was my freshman year of college. You were a blue gold. I was. Eau Claire. My wife also went to Eau Claire. She was a blue gold, so I told her that before I came tonight. I said, hey, by the way, Sarah was a blue gold, too, and she's like, that explains why she's really awesome, and I said, you're right. All those blue golds. Yeah. We, I loved Eau Claire. Yeah. Was Water Street a big thing then, too? It was too? a huge thing. Yeah. That's the watering hole, Water Street. Have you been on Water Street before? No, but I've heard of it. It's pretty fun. Well, they had uh, girls' dorms and boys' dorms when I went to there, there. And so I was in Oak Ridge, which is an all-girls dorm, my freshman and sophomore year. And then my junior year, we moved off campus. And um, in a house, one house, 12 girls, Two bathrooms, one shower, <laughs> and um, we thought, man, we're living because we're not in the <laughs> dorm, and my parents came to visit us, and my mom immediately started to cry. She goes, I can't believe you live here, <laughs> <laughs> but we just thought it was the best. Yeah. It was like, you know, hey, we're free. We're free right. from all those dorm rules, <laughs> right? and um, so it was interesting living with 12 girls, but... Um, then the next senior year, we lived above a beauty shop right across from the fire station. And so um, there were three of us girls, and um, we would do aerobics in our apartment. And the beauty shop underneath, would uh, the ladies would come running up the stairs, and they'd go, girls, girls, stop jumping on the floor. Plaster is <laughs> falling into our client's hair. You know? <laughs> But we, I mean, we just had so much fun. I loved going there. Well, and the view. I mean, you got a fire station across the road. So you get to look at those young strapping men (laughs) carrying heavy ropes. As long as you're deaf, it would have been great. But it was like, it was all sirens all night long. Oh, I suppose that probably wasn't very fun. (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot here. But any crazy stories from when you were living with 12 girls? (laughs) Because I feel like you had to have had something Well, you know, we just had... um, I think we had a lot of fun, but, you know, also 12 girls needing a shower in the morning, that just didn't work out. So everybody had a schedule. You had six that could take a shower in the morning and six would have to do it the night before. So we would um, all have a time. If you missed your time, you had to wait till the last time. So So you get cold water. Yeah. And so it was just like one of those things where you just had to always figure out, okay, it's... 6 10 I have to get in the shower right now otherwise it's I'm gonna wait have to wait till eight o'clock and that's just not gonna work you know or whatever <laughs> but we one um, yeah one time we ran out of money a lot of us ran out of money we in spring break was a big deal you know and so we'd save our money and try to get to spring break well then that month we're all kind of short rent so we 
would have a party, and we did a party, charged a cover, and served uh, Walter's beer. That was the big beer. Okay. <laughs> Entrepreneurial. <laughs> Walter's beer. We've got to look that up. I don't know. It's a local beer or what it was, but it was like, uh. Funny. Well, hey, I think you had a great selling point. I mean, uh-huh. cover the house where 12 girls are living. Yeah. I think you probably sold a lot of beer. Oh, I know. Yeah. I and you all went on that trip? So, we, well, yeah, we all went on the trip. It Very was really cool. neat. Neat. That's yeah. awesome. So I, I know I kind of derailed you on the college thing with the, the blue gold, but um, you were talking about Sally in that uh, fourth floor uh, in the Matt J. Grafe building. Right. Um, she, did it take a while to renovate that for her? Did she ever tell you how long it took? How big was the space? So the space was like oh, 450 square feet at first, and then oh. we ended up with a second office, okay. and then we ended up with a third and a fourth. So we had four offices by the time we left there, okay. you know, that we kept blowing out the wall and, you know, making more room for the staff. Gotcha. And so offices. So it wasn't like you had a big common area where we people had come a shop. showroom okay. and the showroom was two of the offices, okay. but then we had office, um, office space in back where we had our computer and all kinds of things that we, you know, our files. And, you know, back then, Almost everything was by hand. So, like, if a customer would come in and make a payment, we would write it on a receipt, and then we would take that receipt, and then next day write it on an index card that they had made, you know, a $25 payment on their chain. Sure. And so it was all done by hand back then when we started. So, Did you guys offer payment plans that you made? Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Old school days. I like it. But, um, no, my sister joined my mother when the business was three years old. And so she was going to school for, she came to Eau Claire for one year and decided that she wanted to go back to MSU. So then she went back to MSU and started working for my mom at minimum wage. And Betsy said after a year, she asked my mom for a raise. And I think she went from, and I could be wrong, but from like three 25 to like 347 or something like that and then I joined my mom I wanted to go my senior year on spring break everybody was going to Padre Islands that was the place and so my mom goes you know that's a great idea and she mom did this all the time anything that we wanted she always tell us what a great idea it was but that how are you going to do it and you're going to have to work to earn that money and so, um, you know, even going all the way back through childhood, it was like, I remember I wanted a water ski and I loved to water ski. And so she said, well, yeah, that's a great idea, but you have no money. And so why don't you start to work? So I did corn to tassel and I finally bought a, a water ski after a whole summer of corn to tasseling. And, you know, my sister did that with a ski pass for Mount Cato. And, you know, we just did all kinds of different jobs along the way so that whatever we wanted, we'd get. So when I wanted to go to Padre Islands, that's what she said. Well, that's great, but you don't have any money. She goes, why don't you start working for me? And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, you could start selling some diamonds for me in Eau Claire. I go, that's a great idea. So I (laughs) would come home on weekends and I would... Um, load my socks with diamonds and also jewelry and I would go back to Eau Claire and sell to people that I knew were getting engaged or wanted a special gift and um, my first sale 
was to my marketing professor, and he bought his wife a one-carat diamond. And I... Out of your sock. Yeah. And I didn't... I mean, I had a a different presentation, (laughs) but that's where I kept it. You know, there's no safes in your rooms or anything. So, like, all day I would walk around, and nobody knew it, but I had jewelry in my socks, you know? And so, um, anyway... He bought this one carat diamond and I watched the love and joy that went into giving that gift. And I just had what we call in the business diamond fever, you know, like I wanted to be in the business. I had that passion that, Hey, this is like an incredible feeling. And I want to celebrate with these people every time I, you know, help them choose something special. And so, um, yeah, sold a lot of engagement rings and, you know, but it was just like one of those things where, I, I mean, I just every, you know, then it got to be like kind of a little side business where I'd come back and forth every week and reload. <laughs> I love that. I love that you remember your first sale. Oh. And, I, and I, I love that you remember how you felt and mm-hmm. what led you into that. Because I, I think it, some people do remember that, but a lot of people don't, you know, remember those, those times and what really led them. It just kind of was smaller steps, but that was a big thing for you. And that, that's really cool that you remember that, that memory. My mom's, I remember my mom's first diamond that she got after she got married, but she bought it when she graduated from college and she bought a one carat diamond and it was a GVS one for $800. And that was, she's 37 years old. So like it, it just, the joy she had just, and I watched her like pick out that diamond. I watched her put on that ring and just wear it with such pride. And I think, and she was so proud of it because it, it just was a, it's symbolic of her accomplishment of college. And that's what jewelry is. It's like people come in and they buy it and they're just like celebrating some really special time in their life or some moment or just, just that it's a great day to buy jewelry. And it's like, (laughs) I'm going to do it today. And so that's like, and I think now I get to be part of that. Like, part of those experiences with people and so i like that slogan it's a great day to buy jewelry <laughs> but I, I think my bigger takeaway for that one is is just the fact that your mom instilled hard work in both you and your mm-hmm. sister right oh, I yeah. mean, whatever that goal was well how are you going to do it right. and the fact that that's how you caught the bug is is really cool for me did you have it on your radar at all that you might end up working for your mom previous to actually selling the diamonds or was that really the the turning point for you it was really the turning point you know I kept thinking um we were we were all interviewing our senior year for Minnesota Mutual and the the dream was to work for Minnesota Mutual because they had uh, openings in California and I wanted to like live out in California and just be a California girl and just do all that and um I interviewed and I was doing um, Gojo Ru. It's a, a style of karate at the time. And I was doing that as like one of the extracurricular activities. And so I got through the first interview and then I got the second interview and I ended up walking into the interview and I'd, we were learning how to spar and I got a black eye from sparring with my <laughs> instructor. And so I ended up interviewing the second time with Minnesota Mutual with a black guy (laughs) and had to like explain that. But then I also was explaining like, well, they they said, what other work experience have you had? And, you know, at the time I had waitressed and 
I was waitressing at Red Lobster. I was also working at the bookstore and I was selling jewelry for my mom. So I was doing like three different jobs, going to college and then, you know, doing some extracurricular, you know, karate. And uh, it was just like, um, it was really like they, I can remember in the interview, I was talking about my selling jewelry and diamonds and the interview asked me, why don't you do that? You seem so passionate about that. And I thought, yeah, why don't I do that? So, But then what happened my senior year is that Chris and I got engaged, and he surprised me over Easter break and um, with an engagement ring that he purchased from my mom, Sally. There you go. Smart <laughs> CJ. Smart man. Yeah. 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 So my mom was in on it, and so then all of a sudden – we had started dating in high school. So we had dated in ninth grade. I was ninth grade. He was 10th grade. And then uh, we dated all the way through in my freshman year. But then we broke up for my sophomore year and junior year. And then my senior year, he started, you know, coming around again. And we started <laughs> talking and hanging out. And we, um, and he invited me to go with him to a wedding of his friends. And so then that, he asked me to to marry him. So then I'm moving back to Mankato. So now, you know, Minnesota Mutual is out of the picture. And plus, I didn't get called back for a third interview. So After the black guy. <laughs> they were like, I don't know, we need this gal. But <laughs> Maybe they just saw you had a bigger passion elsewhere. I know, I think they had better candidates at that point. Uh, but um, anyway, it was just, it, it, so then that's when I came back and I said, Mom, I want to work in the business. And she goes, yeah. That's, uh, we'd love to have you, but right now, what I can afford is um, you working part-time at minimum wage. And so 20 hours a week, minimum wage, college degree in hand, and I said, I'll take it. And that first year that we combined forces, my sister Betsy um, was our goldsmith, and my mom, um, and I would do the, the selling out in the showroom, and we our business grew 85%. Wow. So it, it, it took off. We had a great team. The three of us worked really, really well and together. And, you know, mom just was a great mentor. And my sister, she always, like, pushed us, too. She pushed us to do stuff. She wanted me to get a graduate gemologist degree. And she wanted Betsy to get her bench jeweler training. So she sent her to bench jewelry training. And she ended up um, ending up the last day of class asking if uh, – you know, what, you know, how, what can, when we go home, what can we set? And the instructor said, do not set any diamond that's over 15 points, which is a 0.15. And so the day she gets back, she's moving in all her equipment because we had to get all new equipment. We had to get a bench. We had to get everything because Betsy had this bench jeweler degree now. And mom said, okay, well, good. You're all set up. That's great. I have a customer coming back in an hour, and here's a carrot and a quarter I need set. And Betsy goes, Mom, I can only set 15 points. That's what the guy said. I can't set this. And she goes, what did I send you to first school for? I need the set, too. And so Betsy set the carrot and a quarter, and she never quit setting diamonds then for the rest of her employment with us. So it was just always like we're she'll teach us, she'll educate us, she'd mentor us, but then you got to perform, you know? So... Right. 
I don't know how, I don't, I don't know the date oh, of yeah. that, but my office admin who puts together some research for this yep. found that ad. And I just, I thought that was great with the family members. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For all the right reasons, exclusively diamonds. That's used to be our song and slogan. And yeah, yeah. it was good. Yeah, Had a little jingle too. on the radio and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Let me, let me look at that once. Got to take a peek. Oh yeah. yeah was... So roughly what year was this that you were involved then? 1985. Okay. So you just came back, just got done with college because you were 81 to 85, is yep. that correct, mm-hmm. in Eau Claire? Right. Mm-hmm. So that senior year, I started working at, yeah. for the Look business. That. Mm-hmm. And That's a fun picture. The 85% growth that you were describing, can you attribute that to anything specific? Or was it? Just I think, um, you know, for one, I was in the age where everybody was getting engaged. Sure. So then I had a lot of people that I knew that I could sell engagement rings to. Same with Betsy. Um, she's just a little bit younger. And then um, my mom had built up a clientele, and now she had, like, she could uh, work a little bit on the business while I'm out front selling. And, you know, it just was like we we worked a lot together and um, had more time to strategic plan. And, you know, we'd get done with work. We'd meet for breakfast at McDonald's <laughs> almost every day. Yeah. And then we would get done, and we'd go, what are you doing for supper? And then we'd keep talking about all the stuff that we had going on and then you know I got married that um, same year 1985 in November and so Chris um, and I were like okay here we're gonna start out this marriage but we don't have any money you know and his mom and dad were in the restaurant business and um, they had a business partner at Corner Mall Shop that decided she wanted out so Chris goes, well, mom and dad want me to work at this corner mall shop and be part of this business. I could use some help. So I would do the corner mall shop and exclusively diamonds at the same time, you know, so back and forth, back and forth. We shared a car. We only had one car, so he would drop me off at work. And then if I needed to be picked up to go to my second shift at corner mall shop, he'd pick me up and bring me there. (laughs) Well, what's really fun is when we were talking about the inception of this podcast, we did it a tab on the app, right? Uh And CJ came up while we were having our conversation, said, you know, you guys have been here for six hours and about 10 (laughs) drinks. What are you guys working on right (laughs) now? Because you're clearly doing something. (laughs) And we told him about it. And he told us that exact same story about Mm -hmm. swapping cars and and basically playing tag in the driveway. Oh, yeah, when we had kids. Once we Mm -hmm. had kids, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We did a lot of, you know high-fiving he would be there you know that was great thing with being you know in our businesses because his he was busy at lunch Mm -hmm. and then at supper so that at lunch he could take that shift and then in the afternoon he'd make meet the kids off the bus and then at supper then I'd roll in yeah we'd high-five in the driveway (laughs) and he'd roll into work for the night yeah no it's really cool behind the scenes kind of thing right because yeah. we as community members just see you in the store and we think about you and that that shoe but not oh. everything else that you do in your day-to-day and, and well, the dynamics of the family and how much you guys are juggling it all at once you know? oh I know when we first got married um then you know it wasn't it was three years later we bought tab on the ave and um when tab on the ave was for sale it, it was the stone toad right mm-hmm. And so um, we did that, we did the, oh, this would be so cool. And I came from a really, like, conservative family. Like, we, my parents didn't drink hardly at all. And, you know, we did, like, 
I don't know, it was just much more conservative. We had, I had a lot of rules. I had the earliest curfew of all my friends. Chris had no rules. He had no curfew. And so, you know, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is, this is cool. And I thought, you know, yeah, that, that bar's for sale. And Chris goes, yeah, I think I want to buy it. And I go, yeah, let's do it. And so my mom and dad were on vacation. And when they came back, we said, hey, mom and dad, um, we think we're buying a bar. I think we're going to buy the Stone Toad. We put an offer in. <laughs> and I thought, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? And it was so it was so awesome because they were so excited for us. And um, we were a little nervous after we talked to our attorney. I don't know if Chris told that story. I can't remember. But Randy Zeller said, what did you do? You, bought a, you said you, you wanted to buy this place but you didn't put contingent on financing. And I go, no, we didn't. He goes, don't you ever buy anything again without talking to me. He did mention something yeah. like that on his podcast. Yeah. So we yeah. figured all that out, you know, but um, it was just like, they were all championing us, championing us all the way, you know, and they got in there and then we did a lot of work ourselves. And so then I would train the waitresses then. And um, he, you know, did all the other stuff. He and Pat would cook. And so we had a little team for a while. So I'd work all day at the jewelry store and then just come down to, or come up to the tab on the Ave and just hang out and help there yeah. before we had kids. Yeah. Well, never ending, right? That's the fun of the restaurant yeah. business and especially the bar business. So uh, no matter what the time of day is, there's always something to be done. I know. <laughs> I know. Isn't that the truth? It's crazy. So, so busy, right? I mean, and, and it, does it feel like, when you think about how many years it's been now right. that you guys have been doing what you're doing, not right. only with exclusively in the early to mid eighties to now, but also the restaurant business that mm -hmm. you kind of took on when uh, you married, you know, Chris with Chris's family essentially, cause he was already in that business right. or his parents were um, crazy to think how long it's been now. Right. right. And how, the, the successes, do you guys take time a lot of times when you sit down at the end of a long evening and just, kind of reminisce on that or does it take you leaving town getting out of Mankato doing mm -hmm. your European vacations and such it that takes you sit us back to and leave go, town Holy shit that was yeah. a long time ago yeah it, it takes us to get out of town where we can like really like sit back and think about our businesses and you know when you're working here um we're working in it as much as on it yet but when we leave we're working on it and we talk all the time mm -hmm. and our kids kind of grew up with us all talking about it around the dinner table. And if we, if somebody had an issue or a problem, we'd all sit there and we'd talk about it. And they had, to, they listened to all that growing up. So it's like, we, we still do that too. When we, our family gets together, we are there, we talk about all kinds of things and dream. What can we do? You know, cast another vision, cast another idea out there and see what people say about it around the dinner table. It's a whole nother education beyond anything you get in school, just to sit it at is. that dinner table as a kid and hear your parents go through that, that day to day. You had that Wes. Oh yeah. It's, but mm -hmm. it's, it's so, um, you feel like you're in it with your parents to a certain extent you get invested. Yeah, and, you do. And I think that's probably when we were talking before about the kids staying and being mm -hmm. invested in the community. I'm sure that that's a big part of it, right? I mean, they probably mm -hmm. felt invested in what you guys were building and doing as well. That's a good right. point. Right. And so Zantigo, is, I've probably eaten <laughs> sure. 250 to 300 cheese Toledos in <laughs> my day. Sure. I mean, I love 
Yeah. That's that's an amazing place. CJ still comes in for a Cholito, a taco, three hot sauce, and three mild sauce. That's his regular Is that his order. regular? Yeah. <laughs> Is it We know weekly? a lot of our orders. <laughs> we know a lot of our regulars order. by order. Yeah. So. The right, so you just say the regular CJ? <laughs> yeah. Is that what you say? Yeah, the regulars. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I wanted to ask you um, about Sally. Now, mm-hmm. um, I'm very sorry uh, for your loss. By the way, I know she passed away about a month ago. She three, did. Three, four September weeks ago. September 16th. Mm-hmm. And so thinking back on that, and obviously you guys were very close, you know, operating in business as long as you have now, you know, having mm-hmm. family yourself, having kids, what, what's been... Um, what did she provide the most inspiration to you when you think back about the early 80s and mid-80s when you joined the business mm-hmm. and all the way up until her passing? Like, what's the most important thing that you learned from your mom? So my mom was very relationship-driven. Um, right away from the start, she had, you know, she was always interested in people. And it didn't didn't matter, like, if they were coming in for just any, you know, just a repair or just a, you know, some simple project. She got to know everybody and know all about them. And she would sit there and our suppliers would come in and they would sit there and they'd be there for hours and hours. But by the time they left, she knew all about their family. She knew all about their history. She knew everything about them. And so relationships were really, really important to her. And um, you, I think, growing up with that as a mentor that's really really important in life right it's not what you know always it's who you know and it's like when you have all those relationships and people that you can call upon if you need something or you need a friend or you just want to do something or you are in a project or you're running a you know a meeting and you think hey I'm on this committee and -and so-and-so would be great. I know this person. It's about relationships and her life was about relationships. And she'd always have the time to, to just visit. That was her favorite thing to do was to visit. But she also was so kind and, and, um, you know, like I, even at 86, um, she, she had a really rough end to her life with, you know, she had congestive heart failure. So your body starts to fill up with fluid and you're, she was unable to walk, you know, she is unable to do transporting from chair to her wheelchair on her own. She had a lot of just, she was, you know, a lot of humbling things and she never complained. She was always filled with gratitude and thankfulness and acceptance. And I said, you know, at 86, she's even mentoring us how to die and with love and grace in your heart. And she, that's, that's my mom. She just was like that. And she just loved, loved people. And um, every person that helped her, even at, towards the end, she had to ask for so much help. And it was like, she'd always say, thank you. Thank you. And just very, very full of thankfulness. So, yeah, I mean... I don't know if that answered your question or not. Hundred percent. Yeah, it wasn't necessarily one. Th- you know, I wanted you to you know just talk about her because yeah, I mean, that's a that's a hard thing. And being the fact that it wasn't just um, it's your mom, but also the person you worked with for a long right. time and got you into the the business you are now. So there's a special bond. Um, 
but it's, it just seems like such a cool, amazing story. And, and she was a teacher at heart. So did she remain a teacher at heart all the way to the end as she far did. as how she operated? She did. Like and she, you know, she, even when, before she wasn't even a teacher, she was a teacher because she would, um, sit, she would tutor kids around our dining room table growing up and she'd tutor kids that needed to help, uh, you know, extra help that if they were to learning how to count money or to tell time, some people. Uh, she loved speech therapy, and so she would teach kids how to speak without a lisp and to not stutter. And so we always grew up watching her, like, help somebody and teach. And so, and then she kept kind of teaching throughout her whole career. For sure, for my sister and I, it was a really gift that we got to work together. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'm sure that Jonesy did this too, and we do this often, but we message people that we know that know our guests, right? Yeah. And so I messaged Maria, and she sent me a bunch of things, which I'll get to later, but just in reflection of your own story about your own mom, uh, she said, one of the best attributes about my mom as a leader is she always wants to maximize the potential of everyone she works with. She's Mm -hmm. credible at at inspiring and motivating people to be the best that they can. And mm-hmm. it just seems so much like your own mom. And mm-hmm. I know that my mom has always tried to model her mom as well. And so it's just, you know, I, it touched my heart a little bit. And oh, I just thanks. felt like yeah. that needed to be shared in that moment. So, Well, thanks, Wes. Yeah. yeah. No, that's my favorite thing to do as a leader is to maximize the potential of the people around me. I love looking at somebody, you know, on our team. And saying, okay, these are their talents. Okay, what are we going to do? How, what training can we provide? What influence can we give them? What kind of um, expertise do they need to take their career to the next level? And so we do that with every single person in the store. And I love that because I watch people grow and to this high-performance team and just love their job, too. Because if you're growing in your job... You are loving your job, too, because you're, you know, we all want to learn. We all want to keep learning and, you know, feeling like we're achieving to the next level. And then sometimes that's really hard to do in a smaller business. Mm-hmm. And um, yet we just always are looking for ways to, like, say, hey, let's let's figure out how to champion this person so that they're just a rock star. And, you know, it's, I love that part. That's my favorite part of it. I also agree. In our in our business at J Long, yeah. same same thing. I really enjoy that. We've got we've been growing. It's been a blessing. Uh, you guys have done amazing things in your growth as well, and bringing people in to share that story of who you are and where it began. Right? How cool is that? That you get to be the the holder of that story, um, but also help them to find a purpose within your business. Right? You know. And that's, that's tough. And you're right, as a small business owner, small business owners, you can be pulled in eight different directions. So sometimes having the time as a leader, as a, you know, somebody that's an mm-hmm. owner to sit down with them and teach them is sometimes difficult to find the moments. But when you do and they connect with it, right. it's so cool. It is. I love it's so it. rewarding. Right. Yeah. It really gives them a different, a different purpose and in, in the reason why we're not just giving people a product and collecting their money. You're building, you're building something. Right. It's neat. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you. So going back to, you know, you've you've jumped on board your part-time 85% growth in a year. Um, 
fast forwarded a little bit there with CJ and you both mm-hmm. acquiring Tab on the app. But what was the like the next evolution then from you going part time to I'm sure full time shortly there? Oh, it was shortly very after it was yeah. full time, and then it's more than full time, of course, after that because. Yeah. You know, we were a small business, and it started out the three of us, and we added Eileen Reichel, and then we had a few more people, and it just kept going from that point on. And uh, we've always, always been blessed with the right people at the right time. And we had the right people at the right time throughout, I think, the history of the store. And so we just, we kept growing and growing, and then keep kept adding people, and then it was about uh, 12 years into it that I got to work with my mom, and then she decided that she was going to retire. And bef- right before that, Betsy decided to get married and leave the business, and so she moved to Rochester with her husband. And um, she, so, you know, we had another goldsmith, Kathy Nelson, and um, but then Betsy, you know, when she left, left, that was a big loss for us, too, to lose such a valuable person, but, um, it was just like, okay. And then shortly after that, my mom decided to leave. So then it was like, okay, what am I going to do? And I said, I want to buy this business. So for the next, um, a lot of years I paid my mom monthly for that business. Sure. So, you know, and it was, it was hard. It like, there were times when, you know, you don't know if you're going to have enough money to meet payroll. There's times when you don't know if you're going to have enough money to yeah. pay your suppliers. And it's just like, oh, you're taking out a credit line. And mm-hmm. um, and then there's times when you think, this is the best, you know, I got it all figured out. And then as soon as you think you got it all figured out, you know, that's the great thing about business. It keeps you humble because <laughs> then the rug's pulled out from under you and yeah. you're like, what just happened? <laughs> you yeah. know? And so it wasn't ever like I felt like I, I had it all under control because it's, I knew from over and over and of it happening as soon as you think that you got it mastered, something changes, you know. And so, um, it, but it's something so rewarding and so exciting about it too. And I love that thrill of it. And you have to have a cast iron gut some mm-hmm. days where you just have to keep moving on. I mean... I remember, um, you know, like there's times in 2008, okay, when the stock market crashed, I had written my last check to my mom, and that was on the first of the month, and then the stock market crashed later in the month, and I thought, what am I going to do now, you know, because everything came to a halt, and you could have, you know, there was nobody coming into the store, and it was just like one of those times where... And I had gone into um, to that season, that Christmas season, um, with a credit line maxed out because we used to go to the the trade shows in the in June. And back then, you had to go June, July, and buy all your Christmas goods. Yeah. For and you probably sense. do that too with clothing. You have to buy it like almost six months out or Correct. so. Yeah. Yep. And so, um, and then I thought, you know, and then um, they called in my credit line. And so I had to figure out that. And it was just those kind of things, though, those are the kind of things that are such, they're so painful to go through at the time, you know, but then once you go through them, you learn so much from it. Mm-hmm. And I, I 
just, I'll never forget that feeling again. Like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to get in that position again ever. And this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to change it. And you know, we did it. And I, you know, that year, 2009, I didn't pay myself, you know, but I did, I worked. And so it was one of those things where you have to just learn to, to kind of keep swinging the bat till you figure it out. And those are the, those are the times though, that I think, um, make you super strong. For sure. And there are also the times that I don't think get talked about enough, right? I mean, right. people look at, at you and everything that you've built and they probably think to a certain extent, wow, what a life and what a business. And they're not wrong, but they also don't realize those types of situations. The, the blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. if a lesser yeah. person goes into that and doesn't figure their way through, then it doesn't exist. Right. And there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of shambles after the fact that someone has to pick up the pieces on. So, sure. you know, it, I that's one of my favorite things about this podcast is talking about those types of challenges and, and how we persevere through them. Right. You know, it was, it was, um, it taught me a lot, but you know, that throughout, throughout the years, then I just got to be such good friends with a lot of my suppliers and we, you know, those relationships, um, it's an international business. So their suppliers are from all over the world and, you know, um, even right, you know, right now, where like a lot of my diamond suppliers are from Israel, and so that's really hard with the situation Israel's going through. Yeah. To watch them with their families and hear about their stories right now, but um, the supplier from Africa, South Africa, took us to Africa twice, Chris and myself, and we did diamond buying in Africa. We got to do an incredible experiences with all that. We have um, just you know being able to uh, just see the world. Yeah. And then experience the diamond mines. Yeah. Talk about that experience if you can. So we, um, we got invited. Um, we had a connection with a, a diamond cutting factory in South Africa. And so we went with other jewelers and it was a, a trip that was planned out by the cutting factory. And we flew into Johannesburg and visited the factories and we went with the shopping list. So I had called my clients and I had a shopping list of all the diamonds that I was going to buy once I'm over there. Sure. And uh, one woman wanted a very special seven carat marquee cut diamond, very high quality. And so I told the cutters about that before I went over there and they were able to make that happen there were only like two diamonds in the world that would meet that qualification. And we went over there and I was able to view it and see it and be able to purchase seven it. Seven. Seven carrots. carrots. Mm-hmm. Is that walking around Mankato by chance or is that elsewhere? No, it's elsewhere, but it's close. It's close. <laughs> can, I ask, can I ask what a, a seven carat diamond Well, back at that time, it was, well, now that. it would be much higher. But back sure. then it was like 250000 Wow. Mm-hmm. But you know, those, so it was just like phenomenal, you know. And then we'd yeah. come back from Africa and we'd have what we called a safari party. And we would bring in our guests and have it all like decorated like we're in South Africa. And, <laughs> you know, they could buy their diamonds and they, we had a story to tell and it was just fun. And so we built those relationships um, back in 2001. And then back in 2003, we went again. And um, it was just really neat to solidify that relationship and be able to, 
like have that connection. Right. Yeah. Relationships are huge Mm -hmm. with suppliers, especially if they can get you out of jams or, you know, spend the time to cultivate something for you. Right. uh, Like, like a seven carat diamond. Um, what was it like? You said you got to tour a mine or some mines. Go into the diamond mines. You'd wear a special suit. Um, you'd wear special headgear with a lamp, you know, tiny light on the, on the, um, helmet. And we go deep into the mines and it's about a 10 minute ride down into the bottom of the mines. And, um, we'd go through a whole safety training program before we'd go down special shoes, everything. And, um, we wear goggles and we get down there and it's hot down in the center of the earth. It's super hot. And, um, that's where they're doing the blasting of the kimberlite ore and the kimberlite ore is rich in diamonds. So, um, they, and so when the, all of a sudden a siren would go off and we'd all go into a holding room, they'd shut the door and the blasting would occur. And as soon as it's over, then we got to come back out and then we could just walk through the mines and see the whole process that was going on down there. It was like a little city down there. Pick up some uncut diamonds yeah. and just <laughs> yeah. walk right out. Right? It was a great year <laughs> after, so, yeah. after that trip. Yeah, they had a great not. year. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. margins were wonderful <laughs> more inventory yeah, no. so so this is probably an un, an unpopular question uh perhaps but you know for those who have you know watched the movie blood diamonds mm-hmm. and people ask questions like that you right. know where's my diamond sourced and all that right um do you guys first question would be do you guys get that question still today at exclusively diamonds Yeah, not as much but we do get the question and you know the thing um with the diamond supply they've the Diamond industry is working extremely hard at the supply chain and sourcing and um, making sure that there's all different processes in place to make sure that those diamonds that we're getting aren't considered conflict diamonds. And, you know, in every probably industry and every immature with immature leadership in some of the countries, Mm -hmm. um, there's always going to be a little bit of the uh, conflict and, Unfortunately, you know, the, the movie came out and, you know, right. it was it was not good for the diamond industry. And so a lot of things have gone in place to change all that. And right. now diamonds do the diamonds do good. Like in, in some of the, the um, factories that we work with, it's the best paying job in the area. They have more women working in the factories now than they've ever had. It's like... Um, they have women almost running some of the um, the the mining companies that are they're working with the big um, equipment. It's just really fun to see, and the, the whole industry is very supportive of the healthcare systems around the places um, where the mining occurs. And so we've we're, they're investing in healthcare, they're investing in education, they're investing in um, women's education. A lot of women in some of those areas were not able to go to school and now they can go to school and Very a cool. lot of that is from the diamond industry it's really been a game changer for the communities that are a part of it well let's uh let's do a shout out to uh, a really cool local company who's been a huge in- investor in in the get deep podcast since the inception and that is our good friends at chankaska creek ranch winery and distillery um so blessed to have them on board tonight we are sipping on some cabernet um, with Sarah Pearson. So, yeah. so pumped to be doing this. Yeah. Cheers as well to you. Cheers, Wesley. Cheers. And Wes, what are you sipping on tonight, buddy? 
Well, everyone can probably guess it at this point, but it is the straight bourbon because that's my favorite. And I promise there's other liquors that they sell as well. There's other spirits. They've got the rum here behind Sarah. They've got the barrel gin, which I'm not even a gin guy, but the barrel gin is amazing. And I think we should restock on that. We need to. There's the rye. There's the brandy. There's apple brandy. There's all kinds of really fun stuff that they got out there. We're going to start getting uh, their, their, um, gosh, I always forget about the, the North Forest. You are the best. You pick, I love you pick that. me up so where I fail. Well, that's the, what we're here for. <laughs> then, yeah, the North Forest Cram Series mm-hmm. is awesome, and we're gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna be talking to Kelsey Long about getting restocked on that for this this next uh, month here. But um, what's your favorite of that line, Sarah? Talk about Chankaska and what you oh, like. Oh, I love going. I mean, the Chankaska is just so beautiful. Um, this cab that we're tasting tonight, tasting tonight, is amazing. Yummy. I love it. It's very yummy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm more of a red. Wine girl, I love that. But when you're talking about the uh, the um, North yeah, Forest, North Forest, yeah, I love the pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Tis the season too. Yeah, yep. the maple bourbon. Pecan. Maple bourbon, oh. yeah. I can't get over it. I mean, the pumpkin one is. I really like it, and I'm mm-hmm. not even a huge pumpkin fan. But you pour that over some ice and or some ice cream. some ice cream. <laughs> I know, I know. I actually did that for the first time right. a few months ago over some just uh-huh. like vanilla bean ice cream, and it was fantastic. We serve the so. Creekside White and the Creekside Red at Exclusively Diamonds and occasionally the Marquette. So yeah, it's a, it's great to have such a local, beautiful winery. It is. Right here. Yeah, it's gorgeous. This is the time of the year, you guys, too, that the, the leaves are changing, the trees are beautiful. So go check out Chankaska um, and uh, ChankaskaWines.com. You can absolutely do that, too. And if you want to book a party out there for your employees um, or just, you know, have like a birthday shindig or whatever. Make sure you call them soon and get those things booked up because they've got some beautiful spots. And we're back. We are. That was a nice little break. Yeah, I couldn't believe that Sarah promised to give us Rolexes when we were done with the episode. <laughs> yeah. That was that honestly was a surprise. There was there's been a ton of generous guests on the Get Deep podcast, but that I think tops it, Sarah. So thank you, and yes, we will absolutely wear them around and talk about you Sorry, all yeah, the time. Oh, that was good. a great lead, that's though. Good. Lead up to uh, the fact that you know, let's talk about you yeah, in, in Rolex for a, a second and what you guys provide. Yeah. So um, yeah, we've been Rolex dealers for about twenty years. Um, it was a challenge to get them at first. Um, I had to, what I knew I wanted to carry Rolex. And so I wrote them a letter and I sent them pictures of our store. I sent them all my financials. I sent them, um, all the demographics and all the information about Mankato. Um, just highlighting, you know, this is an amazing place that, and talking about just our vision for our business and how it aligned and with Rolex and you know they're all about excellence they're about doing the very very best it's like the mission of Rolex is to make the best watch humanly possible regardless of the cost it takes a year to make over a year to make every single timepiece and the timepieces are so beautiful and it's like um the we know that it lasts at least four generations a watch will last at least four generations because um, we have people bringing in their great-grandfather's pieces their their time pieces and they're still ticking yeah and it's amazing but um when they make a component 
of a, in, in the watch. Every component is um, measured against a prototype, and if it's a hundredth of a millimeter off, it's tossed and a new one is made. So the precision, the excellence, just the, you know, craftsmanship that goes into making these timepieces is incredible. So I wanted to be a dealer, and they write the letter back. You know, hey, no, that's not that's not going to happen. We're not going to put a dealership in in Cato. And um, and I wrote, but I kept writing back and saying, hey, you know what? You should really look at this place, and we we could do a great job for you. And so um, one day, a, a gentleman walked in, and he was dressed pretty nicely, and he was looking. He told us for a Tanzanite ring. And so um, Patty Christensen was showing him around the store, and he asked um, Patty, he said, well, where are your watches? And he, she said, well, my owner is really trying to get Rolex, and, um, but right now we don't have it. And she's, he says, well, where is your owner? Because I'm the Rolex rep. And so then I got to meet him, and then he put in a good word for us, and we were able to be an official Rolex jeweler, which um, has been an incredible, like, journey. So a few things. Uh, you were featured in the Connect magazine, right? So here's your cover story, and I was reading Back through it. Back a few years ago? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> question. What is the year on this? Oh, uh, what is it? This would have been 2007. Seven, so, okay. But sure. I was going through it, and I'm sure it was uh, closer to the actual series of events, but there was a customer in store, it says in the article, oh, yeah. that had said, oh, Rolex, I would buy one <laughs> yeah. if they carried if she it. she had right Rolex, I'd buy there. one from her, yes. Yeah, which I'm sure was, you know, helpful. It was helpful. It also said in the article that there was, they went from 2,400 locations down to 800 right around that time. So they had cut the mm -hmm. number of locations where they were selling, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why it was probably challenging. Mm -hmm. And that you were the third woman-owned well, store, is that I was the true? first um, woman um, that owned a um, Rolex in their store. And then um, there were two others in my class. So we all three actually came in right on the okay. same time. And so before that, every um, official Rolex jeweler, um, it may have been a couple that had sure. the official Rolex jeweler title, but then we were able to get that. And so yeah. the three of us kind of had a really tight bond then just because, you know, or swimming in new territory. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I don't remember how long ago it was that I was in store, but I wanted to look at the selection, yeah. and there is none. <laughs> or at least there wasn't there at that is, time. There is now, and they've okay. changed that all up, and it's really they were really brilliant in doing that because what they have now is uh, we have 30 that okay. we have in the store, their exhibition, Sure. and then they release them, and they tell us when they can we can release another Rolex. Sure. But... Um, the demand is so incredible. The supply, we're selling more than we ever have, mm -hmm. but the demand is so high that almost every single timepiece has, you know, people saying, I want that one, I want that one, I want that one. So we keep track of who wants what, and we, you know, eventually we'll try to fulfill the orders, but it's it's really, really amazing right now what's going on. So, so I understand they retain their value very, very well. Right. But is there a reason why the demand is, is so high right now, or has it always kind of been high, or is this just kind of a unique territory? I think that um, that Rolex is so such a smart 
company, you know, they've been able to um, take that demand and, you know, now everybody wants one all of a sudden, especially after COVID. It's like that just kind of got bigger and bigger and then that you can't get one, well, then you even want it more. Yeah. So, so the more that you can't get it, the more people that decide they, they want one. And yeah. so um, it becomes challenging, but it also is holding value. In fact, on the secondary market, you will pay more for a watch that has been uh, pre-owned worn all the scratches on it everything than you will for a brand new one yeah so i uh, i like to pretend like i can afford some of these things and so i go on what's called chrono 24 which is this mm-hmm. after you know it's an uh, aftermarket right. resale kind of opportunity and it is fun to watch all of the different unique timepieces that show up on i bet there, it especially is yeah rolex brand and they'll be some of the most gorgeous watches they'll be and you can go through and and take a look at them, but then you can also look at what would it be new if you were to buy it from a retailer. And it is impressive how much they either retain their value or sometimes increase in value. It's it's kind of a fun um, hobbyist if you had money, (laughs) which I don't, but it's it's fun to look at for sure. When you're ready, you guys, you know who to come to. I remember... (laughs) I remember, well, absolutely. Um, I remember when Carter, this was many, many years ago, Carter, your son, um, was working for you. Mm-hmm. So that you can kind of tell time right. period here. Shortly after I had gotten more and more involved with Jay Long's. Yes. And I was at the Tav. <laughs> I was at the Tav one evening having having some uh, drinks and dinner with some people. And Carter and I had, you know, we have this relationship, but he comes up and he's like, Hey, you got to try this watch on. So he slaps this Rolex on me and it's his own. Yeah. Or he was wearing it that night or whatever. And it, I mean, it felt great. I've never honestly been a watch guy. So that's sure. partly, it, it's not that I wouldn't buy a nice one. It's just never really been on my radar. Right. Um, but anyways, I just got such a kick out of that and he was so cool about it. And he's like, wear it. And I was like, well, that's pretty nice, man. And he's like, you should come see me, you know? And he was I so know. good about yeah. it. And, and, um, how long did he work for exclusively? Um, well, he worked a good couple of years yeah. because both kids came on yeah. uh, at the same time. And what happened was I had four women out on maternity leave in the month of December. Oh, that's bad and, and a really small staff, staff. And I said to the kids, when you get done, when you get home from college, um, Carter was at St. Olaf, and then Maria was at Iowa State. I said, you guys are working at the store. And so they both came home from college break, and they started working at the store. And uh, Maria, and they both loved it. They both loved it. We all three were there. We all got to work together. It was really fun. And those two kind of teamed up together and helped each other sell. And it was really neat to watch them work. And when we all three were there, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. And I tried to teach them everything I know in a short amount of time. But, um, you know, after a while, Carter like said, mom, all these people coming in, all these women, they're, they're all like, they're all either engaged or they want to get married or, you know, he goes, dad's business they're all single over there i want to go work in the bar you know so it was a little more exciting for him but maria just loved it so then you know she ended up actually um her sophomore year at iowa state she went only half the year there and then she finished up at msu and carter finished up 
at Iowa State after the first year, and then his sophomore, junior, and senior year, he finished at MSU. So they both came back to work in the businesses. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Was there some healthy competition between Maria and Carter while they worked there when they no, came back? No, they were for like a team. Were they? they okay. Were a really I didn't know if solid like, team. I'm going to sell more than you today. Yeah. Let's no, go. They were they were a good good team, and so that was really it was really fun. Yeah, but you know, like when you talk about Rolex, um, for a man to hand down something to his son, there's very few things. You know, there's maybe like a piece of jewelry or a gun or something. But um, something that he's worn every day on his wrist, and now you inherit it as a son someday, mm-hmm. and you get to wear it on your skin, and he had it on his skin. I mean, there's just something really powerful about that. Damn it, that. Sarah. It's very, it's very cool. She knows how to get me. Yeah. There we go. That's we right. What's in Remy's future? I've got a little over a, a, a three-year-old son, and now she's talking about something I wore every right. day, and I can give it to him. So mm-hmm. yeah. you knew where to hit me, didn't you? Oh, it's, You're it's, smart. It's powerful. You yeah. know, it's a very so, good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a couple of questions. One, we were talking a bit earlier about inventory, especially with your mom in the early days. Sure. And then um, during the uh, recession of 08, too. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I really enjoyed learning when I was working with the Jay Long's team is, is Matt Long is like a master of trying to make sure that seasonal inventory is, right. you know, only appropriate for whatever the time period is and what the cost is that's associated with that. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to get into numbers if you don't want to, but I would just imagine that that is a big part of the business from a balance sheet standpoint to make sure that you've got only what's really needed from a diamond standpoint and what, what right. you know that you're going to be selling and not much more because otherwise you're just sitting with a lot of dollars tied up in product. You right? are, you are. And it's like, you know, we all talk about turn and in inventory and, you know, our turn, we have to watch a lot. And if something is like holding in the store too long and then we know, but we also know that if we sell it really fast, those are called fast sellers. You got to get those back in because they've sold fast and they're going to keep probably selling fast. And so all of that now, you know, we have programs and systems before it was like your gut. And so you kind of had to like, Oh yeah, I love that. Let's get that, you know? And now it has to be, well, how did it perform? You know, and how does this piece, how did it, you know, what did people think of it when it came in? Did they buy it or did they just look at it? And so those are the things like we have to watch our inventory all the time. How fast can you re-up on items in general? Is it like... Depends on the designer. So we carry a lot of different designers. Some designers, you know, like a, like a Roberto coin is like an incredible designer for us. And um, some of those take up to six months to get it back in. So... Um, when we're buying, we always have to think about that too. Like, you know what, if we sell this now in 10 days, once it's in, like we do some of those pieces, then it's like, that might be another five and a half months before we see it again. So it's like, and then some of them we can get in in six weeks. So it's a lot of them though are made in Italy or they're made in Germany or they're made in, you know, Spain or it's all made across over the entire world and so those are the things that we have to remember it just takes time to get in some beautiful craftsman type piece so I'm sure you're taking a lot of names and numbers and saying well yeah well once it comes back in we'll give you a call yeah Mm -hmm. well that's that's a good way to do it I know another listener submitted question it was really CJ but uh, (laughs) he he said to ask you about big diamonds big diamonds are yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if there's specific stories about sales that you've done that were bigger diamonds, or if yeah, just you know, we've done some big diamonds, and um, recently 
you know, like a 10 carat. We just, just those big diamonds are really been good for us lately. And there seems like we're selling more. And once we moved to this location that we're at and we became more of a regional footprint. And so we're seeing people coming in from Iowa, the Dakotas. We're getting people from Minneapolis. We're getting people from, you know, all over Wisconsin. And um, wow. it just makes, it made a big difference just with our, our marketing and our reach and our store experience. We work a lot on experience. Like what happens, and we train on it. Like what happens when a customer walks through the door, a client, how do they feel? What do we do? What are the steps to make them feel like this is the very best place they've been to all day? And I believe that um, success is a byproduct of treating people well. And the better you treat somebody, the more successful you're going to be. And so we talk about that all the time. And how do we change it up? How do we even wow them more? How do we make this be, like, phenomenal? And so we work on it continually. It's something we talk about every single sales meeting. I want to just bring you into my store and have you speak to my crew. Because exactly what you just said is something I preach I shouldn't say preach because it's probably part of the problem. I get on my pulpit, you know, but uh-huh. I get so passionate about the customer experience situation. And I talk about a lot, but I'd, I'd just love for you to say that to all my, oh, you my crew and just tell people them very well, you know, and it's like, they're doing great, but I just, it's, it's the constant, it has to be a constant thing in the forefront of our minds sure. to leave our bad days or emotions right. or things at the door and provide a great experience for people, mm-hmm. you know, because that's what they expect and that's what they deserve. They deserve, you know, right. and they should feel honored. You know, like our, our, our people, our team, our employees should be honored in the fact that they walked through that door. Yep. And now what are we going to do to make their day great? And so we, how do we treat them? How, how do we make them feel like they're walking into our home? And right. that they're, we're so happy and so glad and we're so ready to make their dreams come true. And so those are the things that we talk about, like, time all the time right it's huge it doesn't always happen and so then when it doesn't then we got to figure it out again and you know retrain yeah that's a constant challenge right but yeah my staff though they all like i've been like i know i can train skill sets but i can't train them to love how to love people and you have to love people Mm -hmm. to be in that in a people business like ours Mm -hmm. and if i figure out if they know how to connect and love and treat people well, they're going to be great. And I can teach them all the other stuff, but that's something that comes with the heart of somebody. And with a little bit of maturity and age, mm-hmm. also being willing to ask questions. Sure. I think, uh, I think unfortunately we have a lot of young uh, part-timers that work for us. And I think we're so people in general, but especially some of the younger generation, we're so ingrained in our own thoughts and right. with social media now too, you know, which is such a beautiful gift. It's also makes us um, totally internal. Sometimes that we don't ask as much questions and get to know the clients sure. to really get those stories, to make them feel comfortable, to make them yep. want to be lifelong customers. Mm-hmm. And so that is, that's a challenge all the time for our business too. But sure. I, I just love how you said that though. The customer experience is so important mm-hmm. to building Right. So you guys do great. So you were talking about being, you know, 
the evolution from briefcase to the top of the grave building briefcase. and then, you know, making that next transition. Was yeah, it Telemore Street? Telemore Street for 18 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talk about how that transition came about and then even beyond that. So the transition from the grave building to Telemore Street, we were running out of space and I just knew that we needed to look for something up by the up by the mall, but I didn't want to be in the mall because I wanted to create my own hours. We aren't open on Sundays and we are closed on evenings. Like we are open two nights a week till seven. So those are the things that to like, to be able to run a business and not have it be running you. That's what I really needed. So um, this building came up on Telemer street and it just was like amazing. And um, I was 37 at the time we did it and it was just like I just love love this area and it was like an amazing spot and I thought how are we going to fill up this store and it wasn't long before we filled it up with inventory and we had more and more staff coming and then we then it got too small because Rolex wanted us to do a build out and they kept coming in the store and they couldn't figure out how to do the build out in that location and so Again, Chris and I were traveling, and we were in Italy, and Chris said, you know, we, we were talking about it. We always start to talk about, like, what's the next step? What's, what are we going to do after this? And what are we envisioning for our life to be next? And I said, I need, I need a bigger store. I need to do something to get this bigger store because I want to keep Rolex. And so we're on LoopNet, and Chris sees that um, the Wells Federal Bank building is for sale and it's Kitty Corner from Exclusively Diamonds. And so we called on Friday, and we said we're going to be home Friday night. Can we get an appointment Saturday morning at, at 8 o'clock in the morning? And we got there from home in Italy. We got home, like, late at night. And at 8 in the morning, we were sitting in that building, and I could feel it. Like, I knew that was going to be store and I could even envision how it was going to look and so it was just our whole family was over there we're all walking it around and everybody leaves and then I'm just sitting in there with Maria and we're just then I think she left to go to work and I just sat in there by myself and I thought you know what this is where we want to be this will be home now and so we worked the price and tried to figure it out and got it figured out so but yeah it's a really cool space that thank you yeah thank you yeah how much space did you add when you switched locations so, just down the road? Um, double. Double. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And much needed. Yeah. Much needed double. Did We're you at like seventy three hundred square feet now, which okay. is really nice yeah. for us. Well you you mentioned before about adding a level of legitimacy, or maybe I added that. Um, when you moved from your last location to the current location and sure. obviously Rolex needed more space to actually represent that. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned about just gaining more clients outside of just the Mankato or, you know, the Minnesota right. area even. Um, why is that? Why why did you all of a sudden see an uptick? Was there other reasons why you saw an uptick just adding that new location? Was it just people would drive by and it's bigger and it's I think there? too, like, um, we were able to do events and do them in a bigger, better way. We were able to... Um, you know, we ended up hiring people that were are just amazing. We have, like, an amazing, I don't know, Brooke Melius yeah. started working for us, like, and since, you know, she's probably been there six, seven years now, and she's, she's a rock star, and, you know, she just, she came from corporate America, and um, so we had to blend 
corporate with, you know, <laughs> sure. how we do it. Like, yep. and, uh, so I said, well, you know, everything's kind of situational. And she goes, no, it's either black or white. And so then we were like, <laughs> <laughs> we just say, you know, we kind of had to meet in the middle and it was really good. And she's, she's phenomenal. She's a brilliant woman. And, um, she did an amazing job hiring too. She hired a lot of our staff that are just, you know, we have the manager of Victoria's Secret. We have the manager of Estee um, Lauder. You know, we have the manager of um, K Jewelers. We have the manager of um, just, I mean, I can go on and on. Just, there's so many, like, leadership positions within our store that we've had people come and work for us, and they bring those leadership skills. And then the, it, we start running and operating in a whole different way. And so it becomes a lot of systems in place that we didn't have before. We're able to be more efficient. We're able to market it in a better way too. Our marketing director is amazing. My people, I have like such a talented, incredible team that I'm blessed with. And Maria is in, she's going to be a lot better at this than I ever was. She is got everything. She's got everything. She's got the passion for it. She's smart. She is a hard worker. She's just so determined to succeed and she's got great ideas and um, she's really amazing partner to have. So we're in partnership. She's buying the business, you know, in small increments right now and um, we'll be, we're partners. We're partners in the building. We're partners in the business, and um, it, I mean, I have just incredible, blessed with incredible people that are around me. So I think the more I can maximize their talents mm-hmm. and keep that place, you know, running well with the talented people that I have. And I need, now they're training me. It's really great because <laughs> I'll leave for a little while, go on a trip, and then I'll come back and I go, what did you guys do? How did we change this? You know, and I love change. I love change. But, you know, now they're training me all yeah. the changes that are, we're making so fast. And so it's really amazing. That is really neat. What was the time period that you moved into the new building? What was the year for that? 2018. So that was just maybe two years before really the the pandemic timeline. It really was. It was, um, so yeah, 2018 and then um, Maria got married in 2019 and then it was 2020. Yeah. COVID hit. Bing, bang, boom. And so um, that, we were on a rocket ship with that store and all of a sudden whoa Mm -hmm. it was absolutely crazy that i i will never forget that feeling that it's like a sick pit that you don't know what's gonna happen and chris and i looked at each other like what's gonna happen to us you know this is all gonna be gone and um you know we had we were desperate in the sense that i mean there's a lot of cash burn on businesses when you're got buildings and people and product and you know you owe a lot of money on all of that and so you need to like make sure that you have sales to cover it and all of a sudden the sales stop and like you think what's gonna happen and it was like I said to Brooke and Maria the three of us it didn't matter if you were supposed to stay at home we kept coming to work every single day and the three of us would sit in my office and we'd 
talk about what's what we're going to do. And we didn't know what to do. And I was, you know, I didn't want to seem fearful in front of them because they needed to me to lead them through this, but I was super scared. <laughs> and um, we just kept talking as a team. And first thing I did was called every smart person that I know and said, what do you think, what do you think I should do? What do you think we should, what should we do right now? And nobody knew what to do. And I said, you know, I've been through 2008, which was hard, but this is really hard. And, um, and we decided that we were going to, I decided that we were going to keep the people, everybody. And we were going to, we had built this team. They were incredible. We had worked really hard to get this team. And I didn't want to lose anybody. They were a family, you know. And so we were going to keep our team. And so we brought them all back as soon as they could come back. And we still couldn't open the store, but we trained them. We continued to train and train and train. And then I... Um, had everybody call customers. So we, they call like all of our customers on our customer list. And I said, you know, we talked about, we're not trying to, we're not going to try to sell them anything. We're going to just see how they're doing and just find out about them. And how are, how are you? And just talk to them like a friend. And we did that with our customer list. And it was amazing how people needed to talk at that time. They just did. They were like so desperate for conversation and you know and every once in a while somebody would go hey by the way it's our anniversary next week and so we'd meet them out in the parking lot of the store with a with a gift wrapped but it was just like that we said you know what we're gonna keep these people we're gonna make this work and then Brooke started noticing that her daughter um, was selling used dance clothes online and people were buying them and they were paying a lot for these use dance clothes and she says you know I wonder if we could start doing that if I wonder if we could start selling jewelry online and do like a little video of us selling jewelry um, and do it live that's what we should do so then we got to brainstorming and then we started calling it wine Wednesday and then we just had all these things that we were going to be drinking wine and we had Chan Casca wine uh, on the show and it started out on a little iPad with Marie and I doing it uh, and we knew we had a thing. We had um, the first show. It was a test just to see how it would go. And we had 25 items that we sold, or 25 items, and we sold 19 of those that first time wow. we did it. That's so huge. it was huge. And so then we started coming up with a theme every week. And it was just a really nice evolution to the show. And now we've got, of course, way nicer cameras and microphones and everything about it. And yeah, and it's still going. And it's still, still active going. every single week. Number one traffic driver. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. How cool. And it came out of a really shitty time Yeah, that you guys were brainstorming, just trying to figure out ways to, to keep things going. And we never would have done it without COVID. Right. So we have COVID to thank for that. Yeah. Well, there's beautiful things that came out of that, uh-huh. you know, the, that 2020 uh, time period. We've, you know, talked to a lot of guests over the, the last couple yep. of years and there's some really good stuff really good positive lights that came out of it. It pushed us. Yes. Right? It pushed us Absolutely. to get more creative, to maybe get more e-commerce going. Right. And Think, is uncomfortable Do things that we never was. thought we would do. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's amazing. Well, and you've got, you know, getting back to the building front, it's really cool to be able to locate in a bank, right? Right. So first of all, just from a security standpoint, really neat. Um, do you have buzzers on the front door? Is that my... So we have buzzers on the front door. Yeah. 
We have a big walk-in, huge vault. Yeah. So we have um, baker's racks that every night we put our um, trays full of jewelry in those yeah. baker's racks and then wheel them into the safe. Nice. And For just a cool vibe. Yeah. Just from a first of all standpoint, but second of all, probably important to you given some of the things that have happened to you over the years. Right. I mean, wow. Um, the robbery and the abduction front. I mean, I, I don't know if you want to get into those stories. That must have been a really trying and, and terrible mm-hmm. event. Yeah, that was back on our Telemore Street store. Um, I pulled up to the store on a morning at 8 in the morning in April, April 23rd, 2003. And um, just been back from Africa talking about all the diamonds that I had brought back in from Africa. I was on TV. I was, you know, on the radio. And... Um, I pulled up and got out of my car, and the FedEx driver was there, and he had his FedEx outfit on. And he said, are you Sarah Pearson? And I said, yes. And he goes, will you sign for this package? And I said, sure. And he said, do you have a pen? And I started to get really a weird feeling because he had a a hat on. He had, like, a headset on, and there was no FedEx truck. And I knew, like, all of a sudden, like, I knew I was in trouble and he said, oh, here, I do. And he pulled out a gun. And I absolutely freaked. I had been to Caribou in the morning, and I um, had coffee in my hands. I had donuts for my staff. I had a backpack and my purse, and I just threw it all up in the air and started running across the parking lot of the store. And he ran after me and grabbed me, and he, we had a really physical battle outside the parking lot of the store and I never knew what I would do if I was ever grabbed or what how I would react and I fought like a wild animal like I was screaming so incredibly loud I was so absolutely out of control and um, he got a hold of me and started dragging me across the parking lot by my wrist and tried to push me into the back of my car and he had a gun in one hand and my wrist in the other and so all of a sudden my bracelet broke and I I don't know it kind of shifted his hand and I was able to get free and run across the parking lot and I ran across the street and almost got hit by a car and ran into city autoglass and screaming and crying and you know telling him he's gonna kill me and so they called 911 but what's also happened which was such a gift is that there was a woman by the name of Charmaine Jans who was watching this all go down. She was at the car wash across the street, and she asked to borrow a woman's cell phone, but the woman let her, so she got in her little PT cruiser because he had a, a box that he plopped on the hood of my car and a duffel bag, and when the fight was going on, he started running because he got scared, and realized that he had left the box and the duffel bag on the hood of my car. So he came back for it, and she got in her car and started to follow him, and he ran across to um, the building right across the field, that, he, and he jumped into a car where there was a driver, and they got into an SUV, and she followed him, and they got into an intersection um, where my building is now, right on Adams Street, and... She stopped a police officer, and she said, you need to follow that vehicle. And so he started to follow the vehicle because it was 
thriving kind of erratically. And they got behind Madison East Center, and the guys took the SUV down the hill and into the woods, blowing out trees and branches, and got the SUV stuck in the, the base of the hill. And then, so they did, they started calling in, you know, the city, the county. They called in an air um, patrol. They um, go in and they search the vehicle with dogs and they find that there's a gag Greg duct tape, shock collar, and a vial of concentrate. And they later determined it was nicotine, which is incredibly toxic it would burn holes in your arm or if you put it on a gag rag it would like you would pet die and so they had all this and then they had this bomb and so they called in the bomb squad and they had then they did this massive search and they did lockdown on the schools and um, every area like around down by Thompson Ravine and they've ended up finding um, the this vehicle, or this, or actually these, this man inside hiding in a truck outside a woman's apartment. And this apartment, they kind of like got him out. And then, you know, um, this gal, Charmaine Jans, drove by and they said, Is this the guy? And she goes, No, the guy that was fighting Sarah was a lot bigger. And so they knew that there was a second guy. And so they figured out he's in the apartment with this woman. And she had a nine month old baby. And so, um, finally got him out. It was really terrible for this woman who had to endure like a lot of time with this man who was crazy. And, um, she and I became really good friends and later, but you know, anyway, they caught him and the state tried him and, um, all of a sudden the feds pulled him and they, he, they got tried federally instead of just state. And so, um, one of the guys got seven years, and the other one got 20 years. And so it's a lot, you know, it was a lot to deal with. They had three guns, and they had, you know, just, just something kind of like crazy that happens in, you know, Little House on the Prairie, yeah. <laughs> Mankato, oh you know. So we had to go, I um had to call Chris and get him to go get our kids and bring them to a secure location and not bring them home because they knew where we lived. They knew where we, they, we worked, where we lived, where our kids went to school. I was supposed to go talk to Carter's sixth grade class on Africa that year and that day, and I had to call and cancel because it was like, and then we had the kids up at the store. So it was, I'm sure pretty awkward for them because they saw me all upset and you know everything was happening so crazy and well it turned out he had been following you and and learning your habits and everything for two weeks yeah yeah. two or longer he had rented a house in Mankato and he um had nothing in the house except the makings of this bomb and the bomb was fake so the bomb did not have like anything hooked up to it but they had the handcuffs to hook to the bomb. Well, anyway, so I went to all of the the hearings and, you know, um, and it was, for me, it was like I had to go, like I had to go. And um, just to kind of figure out, like, what what is this about? And every time, you know, every time you get all, like, 
upset and you can't sleep and you just go, you know, it drives you crazy with fear. And so then, you know, that's then, you know, they get put away and it's just like, okay, they got caught. Well, then it turned out seven years later, I had to go back because there was an investigator that um, opened up, that reopened up the case and found that my case matched a lot of case, two other cases that had happened in the past before mine. And they realized it was the same man that had done those um, crimes too. And he admitted to those, so we had to go back. And at that time, I brought um, Danielle Taylor, the woman that was in the ravine, into the apartment with her nine-month-old baby. I said, I knew she was still struggling. I said, Danielle, you got to come with me. you got to face this. We're going to face it together, and I'll be there, and I'll hold your hand, and we're going to get through this. And so um, they had us write victim impact statements, and we were went there together, and then they ex- extended his prison sentence, I think, another two, three years. So um, it was like, but, you know, it went, there was a part where at one point, like every time I had to do that, I'd get all worked up again. And finally I realized that at some point I had to like let this go and forgive this man who did all this. I mean, he's locked away. He's still like bothering me and he's like, he's, can't touch me. You can't do anything. And, um, you know, I think some things are really humanly impossible to give, but uh, forgive, but you need to have asked for divine intervention. And I think that's where, you know, God came in and said, Hey, you know, I'm going to help you forgive this man. And you're going to know when you do, because you're going to be a lot better. And I just knew the moment that I was able to release just the fear and the hatred and everything and be able to forgive him for what he did and I knew it's like a huge weight off your shoulders and um, I just think that forgiveness in life is so incredibly important because if you don't it can can make you sick and I um, I knew the minute it happened and I was just like it totally changed the rest of my life it did so um, there's a lot of blessings that came out of that. I was able to talk to women's groups about not being a victim, to fight, that if you get in a vehicle, um, you have probably a 96% chance of not coming back alive. If you fight and you run and you get free, you only have about a 4% chance that they're going to shoot you or hit you in a vital organ. You know. So I said, it's like it's so important that we not be the victims and we fight with all of our power and all of our might. And so I've had a lot of women write me about their incidences and how they fought and they appreciated those words. And it just is like, that's powerful too. And so whenever anything bad happens, something good happens too. And a lot of good happened from that too. Well, the two previous cases, he wasn't caught and and you, you fought, you, you made a struggle, you screamed, you got away and, uh, luckily, there was other people observing, too. But right. that's the reason why he was caught and wasn't able to do it to someone else, too. I was able to talk to um, those two victims, and they were struggling after seven years. They were still struggling, and I'm sure they had no closure until that time. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, even knowing that someone that did that to me as a, as a man, I would still be 
concerned every time a FedEx truck drove oh, up. I know. You know what I mean? Like, I would imagine that there would be triggers and there would there be are things triggers. that would yeah. still mm-hmm. bother me for yeah. sure. Yeah. There, you know, we, we train on safety all the time. We have 46 to 48 cameras, I think, at um, the store. Everything is taped, every single corner, every outside area. Um, we talk about, you know, what to do in case um, something would happen. We know when we've been cased, we can feel it, and we all work together. And yeah. our team is just really good at that, you know, just trying to keep each other safe, too. Being that my wife is a, uh, a therapist and mm-hmm. has a lot of experience in that that arena, um, did it require you or did you need or want therapy during that mm-hmm. time? I just assume, I mean, man, to work through those emotions yeah. of that whole situation. Which, I did. I, I, you know, at first I said, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm really, I'm fine. I'm always, I always am fine, you know. But I, about 90 days afterwards, it was almost like three months later, I was like really struggling. And that's when I started therapy. And um, Good for you. it was really, really beneficial. Um, really good. So it, I would highly recommend it for somebody that is struggling. It's so crazy. And, and, and I agree in all instances, uh, but especially something like tra- something so traumatic right. as that. It's, it's mm-hmm. nuts. Yeah. And Did- I think, um, to what it does is allow you to talk it through without, you know, keep talking to your spouse or your friends, you know, right. it's like everybody is like, Oh, I heard this story before, you know? And it's just like, it it's allows you to kind of, when you talk about it, be able to sit, process it a little differently than you're maybe processing it on your own. Wow. Have you had other attempt? I mean, you mentioned you can notice when someone's casing the place. Mm-hmm. Have you picked up on other situations and preempted them or had other situations happen at the store? Oh, yeah. Um, anything that you can share? Anything interesting on um, that front? Yeah, we've, we've had that happen. Um, we had a casing just not that long ago. And um, right away, um, one guy, they park on the side of the building and then three guys are in the car and we can see them, you know. And so then two guys get out and one is going to bring in a big garbage bag. They've got masks on. And this was just like recently. So we know, like within the last few months, we know that you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And they've got hats on. And... um, so they're pretty covered up, and then they've got the garbage bag. You know, that's kind of a weird yeah, that's a giveaway sign. You know, and so we had them walk in, and we had just trained on it. And Maria and I were gone. We were gone in Switzerland. We were at the Watches and Wonder show, and so our team executed that perfectly. Um, they all came out on the showroom floor. They covered it. You know, we have usually about 12 people on at once, and everybody was out on the showroom floor, and everybody was making sure that they knew that we knew that we see you, we know what you're doing, you know, without saying it. And they left, and they never came back. So then I reported it to Federated Insurance, and then I reported it also to um, the to Rolex and because that's what they were casing, and they, I also reported it um, to my jeweler friends in Minnesota, 
called them all, and um, so Moeller said that he they were there the day before casing them too. So we, I mean, we, but we were able to get a fingerprint. Ah, good. And they touched our glass, which yeah. you watch for, and then you can't mess with it till the police get there and take a fingerprint. Yeah. Well, good. It's good mm-hmm. that you've got that kind of training because yeah. obviously you and Maria were gone, and so you depend right. on that training to kick in with the rest of your staff. He did amazing. Yeah, and it's interesting, to, and, and it makes total sense, but, you know, so many people think, okay, well, retreat if you think that there's a mm-hmm. threat coming, but no, show a force, have everyone right. on the show floor, you know? Right. I like that. Were there any other clients in the store at that time? That I don't of? believe so. Okay. I don't know for sure, but I don't believe so. Okay. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it it's kinda, crazy. But I suppose when you live in the environment of jewelry, as long as you have, right? Right. It's it's this item that's an expensive item, a hot item, something that people coveted. I mean, movies mm-hmm. are made about diamond right. heists and bank heists, you know, things right. like that. But um, it's just got to be an interesting world sometimes. That it feels like you always kind of have to be looking around you. You when, you're, when you're carrying stuff to shows or I remember, um, obviously your, your late brother-in-law, mm-hmm. uh, Pat, you know, uh, who, uh, would service security for you guys as you sure. transport things to yes, different he locations. <laughs> he bring, And he was happy to do he it. He loved it. Cause you know, being a veteran yes. and toting his gun, yeah. he was happy to do it. And, right. um, so that's just kind of been a part of your life for right. a long time. Right. We've had, uh, we just... You know, it that awareness. Um, it wasn't until that incident in 2003, I was very naive mm-hmm. to anything ever happening, and just felt very safe. And you know, now we're just a lot more aware, and um, it's just good. It's good. You have to have that awareness, and right? Just look around and see who's around when you're getting in your car, and right. Watch each other get in their car at night. And well, that kind of story just doesn't happen in Mankato and I no. it still really doesn't for the most part. No, it doesn't. Um, but, you know, we look at it from a national standpoint when it comes to retail theft is just through the roof. Right. And I wonder if that isn't kind of some of the same mentality with those folks that were casing the, sure. the store that day of, you know, I've seen so many videos of people going in and smash and grab type situations, filling garbage bags up. And mm-hmm. I think there was an announcement of like nine different Target stores across the nation oh, that I were know. in great locations that just right. said nope too much theft we can't do this anymore sure and they closed down so it's it's unfortunate but it's good to be prepared and ready and and grateful that it doesn't happen that often in Mankato but sorry that it had to happen to you yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's quite the story and I'm glad there was well I want to say a happy ending to it or Mm -hmm. a positive ending to it uh, which it could have. It really was, and I, I mean, think to say you know it could have been worse. It could have been worse, but um, wow! It's so it's so amazing, and there are so many blessings along the way. Right. You know, first of all, that I could fight it and get away. Second of all, yeah. that he got caught, mm-hmm. and that you know we're safe, we're okay. Well, I, I also sorry, Wesley, go ahead. I was just going to say one of the things that occurred to me when you said this happened in two thousand three. You said it was a twenty year sentence, but there was maybe more time added on. Yeah, a couple of years more, so it'll okay. be soon when he's out. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That uh, does yeah. that give a little anxiety to to know that? A little, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm fine though. I'm fine with it. Good. I'm feeling, you know, I think um, at this point, 
I feel like I am not going to dwell on that. Good. You're strong. I really appreciate what, what you, what you mentioned you've done for other women too, and, and talking to them and, and facing it full force. I mean, I think it's just a huge thing. And I think people, um, that are listening can also, if they, they know somebody or them themselves have been through an experience similar right. or something that's been super traumatic, listen to Sarah Pearson, you know, as far as facing it and going through it and being willing to help mm-hmm. others and do therapy and things like that. Cause there's, there's a lot of bad shit in this world, but we can't just not live. You, right. know, you have to keep going. Exactly. So I just really give you props to that. Um, you touched on federated as one yes. of your calls when this happened, right. um, when those guys, uh, recent the recent uh, thing, so I think that's a natural transition into talking about your role with Federated Insurance and what you uh, what you do there. So if you want to uh, touch on that, or I love Federated Insurance, yeah. they are an amazing amazing company. Um, so they've been um, insuring our store for many many years, and so I got on the they were asked me to be on the advisory council. So I was on the advisory council for four years, and then um, Jeff Fetters asked me to meet with him and said, he asked if I would be interested in a board position. And I said, oh, I'm, I can't even believe I said this. I said, oh, I'm so busy right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had no idea, you know. And um, I said, I've never, I don't know a lot about insurance. I know a lot about jewelry and business, but I don't know a lot about insurance. And I said, I... Uh, you know, I'm serving on our church board right now. I'm president of our church. And I, you know, had all these excuses of why. And he goes, you know, Sarah, I want you to come over to Oatana. I want to talk to you more about this. And so I told Chris this, and he's like so supportive always. He's never said no. Like he always says, Sarah, you have to say yes. You have to do this. This is going to be an amazing experience. So I um, went over to Oatana and listen to um, Jeff present you know, what it would be like to be on the board. And um, he said, well, what do you think? And I said, yes, I, I would like to do it. Chris and I talked about it, and I would like to do that. And so he goes, well, you'd be our first woman in 104 years on the board. Um, that's not a work for Federated. There was uh, Sarah Buxton. She was the founder's daughter, so she was on the board for a little while. But otherwise, um, so, but um, I was like, well, I want to know if I, if I do this, I'd like a training program. What kind of training program do you have? And he said, well, I don't have one in place, but I will get one in place, and we will do a training program. I said, yeah, I want to know how I should what I need to know to be on a board like this. And so they put together the most amazing training program. And so that was like incredible. They had never done that for any of their directors. So they had all their directors go through it and it was like so cool. Um, And I think the, the fun part too, to tell is that we get together once a year with the spouses and Chris was the first then they had to change it to, instead of the wives, to the spouses. <laughs> and they were worried about how Chris would fit in with all the women. Sure. Well, they had every activity during our board meetings that he loved. They had cooking classes. Well, he loves that. Shopping, he loves that. It's just like <laughs> on and on. Everything, 
art, whatever they had. Chris is really passionate about a lot of those things. And so, and he really liked the women. And I have met incredible people, like incredible people with Federated. And they've treated me so well. And um, so we started a women's program over there for leadership. And um, now they have women's leadership coming all through the pipeline of Federated. And it's really cool to see. And so it's just been the best decision I think I've ever made professionally is to be part of Federated Insurance. How long has that been now? So I've been on the board since 2015. Okay. How big is the board? So there's um, 11. Um, Three of the 11 are Federated people. Um, We have the, Jeff Fetters is the chairman um, Mike Kerr is the CEO, and then Mike Keller is the CFO. And then there um, are eight policyholders, and they're from all around the country. So, cool. Yeah, it's really neat. Yeah. Great um, people. Very strong company, huge presence here, obviously, in southern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I've heard a little bit from you chat about it in the past, but I also am... Um, fairly close to Nick Smith um, here locally yeah. and we've talked about federating what he does and and the board and the, some of the parties and gatherings and things you guys do and Owatonna mm-hmm. office and everything but it just seems like um, that would be a really cool experience to to add to your repertoire and just right. obviously I'm sure it's not a bad thing to be connected more with them being in the jewelry business too right um, you know just a natural pipeline to selling more uh, jewelry and watches so um what I love is when you get around somebody like a federated, a corporate account, or a corporate account like that, or you get around these um, board members who are running companies, you know, a lot of them a lot bigger than mine. You watch how they lead. And I learn so much every single time we gather. And then I come back with ideas for the store. And my team can always go, oh, she's been at the Federated <laughs> meeting again. You just got all these ideas now for us. But that's, it's so cool. It's really cool. And, you know, really when you think about it, any board that you serve on, you're surrounded by passionate people that want to make a difference. And it can be any of the nonprofits. It can be any board. I mean, I've served on a lot of nonprofits, and I've met incredible people because they have passion for making a difference. If you're going to serve, you're going to like somehow commit to like, Hey, I want to further and better this. For sure. And so, um, both Marie and I serve on the American Gem Society board, which is an international board. And it's the first time they've had a mother daughter team. And it's really cool. It's like, I have learned so much and you're, surrounded by high-performing suppliers, high-performing retailers, and you want to be better, and you can see how to be better because you can see it's happened to somebody else. And so that's why I think we've grown so much, too, when you ask me that question, is that we keep surrounding ourselves with incredible people, people that raise us up Mm -hmm. and... um, I love that. I get so inspired. And right now, you know, people are coming in and I mean, they're seeing my age and they're going, yeah, when do you think you're going to retire? 
And I don't ever think I'm going to retire. I'm probably going to be that little granny with her walker running around the store <laughs> doing what I do because I love it so much. It's it's very inspiring. Well, that led me into one of my last questions for you of the night too. But um, and that was kind of like your role today. So you've spoke about board experience with Federated, and mm-hmm. and obviously you're still a part, huge part of decision making there. But have you stepped back a little bit now that Maria's taken a bigger role, and and you've got other people on the team like Brooke, kind of managing a lot? And sure. how many people you got working there now? Eighteen. Eighteen. Huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, like, what is Sarah's role today on a day to day basis? What's what do you so, do? So, um, you know, it's like working on it instead of in it. Um, what's the next thing we're going to do? What are, what are we going to try to accomplish? And then looking at people and trying to make them grow. Um, I still love going out on that sales floor. And today it did like, I love that. I was out there a lot today and I love that too. Um, so it's changed and I let them lead. I ha- I had to really like step back and let them make decisions and they are making great decisions. And so, and if something's not going right, we all talk about it and we figure out, well, how are we going to change it then? You know, we're going to figure it out then if something's not happening that we think should happen. And so, um, I think my role's changed and I think that's helped our business grow too. Yeah. Amen. I was going to ask a couple questions. One was getting back to maybe the restaurant side with CJ because mm-hmm. when I text him, he mentioned that you uh, have a role when it comes to Mother's Day, uh, oh. number four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. So, well, first I want to talk about his role. He's my landscaper, gardener, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so one day he's out. Well, one day, all of a sudden, a woman walks in and she says, I want to speak to Sarah Pearson. We have three Sarahs at the store. So I come out and um, she says, I don't know how much you're paying your guy out there, but he's leaning on his shovel talking on his cell phone. And I look (laughs) out and there's Chris and he's pulling weeds and trimming bushes for us at the store. And I'm like, I look out and I see him. I go, well, thank you very much for letting me know that. Poor guy's traveling, running his restaurants from my rock patch. It's a great story. But then, uh, so then, yeah, we had um, the brunch for Easter and down at number four. Well, it's just all of these people come all at once and there's 500 people that roll through the restaurant. And so it went, didn't go as smoothly as he wanted. He says, you know, I could use some help. I said, okay, I'll come down. I, I love that. So, I've got my little pink blazer on. I'm all dressed up, and I'm envisioning myself driving down to the restaurant. You know, I'm going to kiss babies. I'm going to pour champagne. And and he said, I get there, and I go, okay, I'm ready. He goes, I go, what do you need me to do? And he goes, oh, well, I'm wondering if you could sweep the entryway, and then um, I really need you to go into the bathroom and keep checking on that over and over again and, like, you know, be the bathroom attendant. I go, you call me down here to be the bathroom attendant? And he goes, yeah. I go, well, you could have at least told me I would have brought mints. You know, but it's just like, are you kidding me? You know, so I didn't really like, I haven't really said I'm going to help again for a while. So you burned that bridge, huh? Yeah. Find better so, jobs, yeah, CJ. Yeah, oh, but man. he helps me out so much. He, I mean, I mean, we're a team. That's good. We're a good team. Yeah. 
No, that's very good. The other piece I was going to touch on is just your travel Mm because you guys do a a healthy amount of traveling. Yeah. And um, I'll let that be an open conversation because I know you go to Europe and and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of fun destinations. But before we get into that, um, Carter had mentioned specifically a dog bite that happened on one of the trips. I think it might have been. Oh, he we weren't traveling with Carter. So okay. <laughs> he was traveling with MSU, a oh, college okay. student. Sure. And uh, Marty Sivik brought a group of people down for Spanish immersion um, of the students. And he was going to teach at a school down there and teach English at a school. And um, it, he had to live with a family, which he did, and he loved it so much. And then he would write back, and he had to diary everything, and then write back and have us proof it. And so he wrote back, and I'm reading it, and I find out he gets bit by a dog down in Costa Rica. And I'm reading it that, that night, and I go to bed, and Chris is up all, the whole night, and he wakes me up, and he goes, Sarah... He got bit by a dog. I said, yeah. He goes, well, what if it has rabies? And all of a sudden, it was just like an electric shock went through me because I thought, what if it has rabies, you know? So, of course, I am on the phone. I'm getting, you know, MSU involved. I'm going to get, I told Carter, get him on the phone. And he's teaching at the school. I said, I need to talk to my son. I said, Carter, if you cannot find a rabies vaccine you're coming home so you get out there you stop what you're doing you go out you find a you find the vaccine and you go to the hospital so he sent him to the hospital and of course that's a nightmare where he was it was like lights are burnt out people are laying in the halls it's just a mess so he comes back he talks to the principal and he says my mom said I have to find one or she's actually coming to get me or flying me home and um, so anyway, he, I am like a mess. And Maria goes, mom, you got to get a grip. You have to get a grip. <laughs> you can't let this like take you down. And I said, I know, but it's like, if he, if he needs a vaccine, I need him to get a, a rabies shot. I need him to get a rabies shot. And so um, he ends up going to all these pharmacies and he ends up going to a pharmacy and they have one shot. Um, they had called the um Capital, they've called everywhere now in the whole country of Costa Rica. They can't find any rabies shots, but this pharma, this pharmacia, they called it, had one rabies shot left because the person never came back to get it. So he got the shot, and then they had to get in. The, then he got home and got the second shot. But it was just one of those crazy stories that he likes. He likes that story because <laughs> he likes to get me all like riled up, wound up about it. Yeah, how much does. mom cares. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Where yeah. do they give the rabies shot? He is it just in, in his the arm. arm? Is it just mm-hmm. in the arm? Yeah. Okay. It is. Yeah, it used to be in the some, stomach. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is why I ask that. Some are in yeah. the rump. You know, some are in the stomach. Or yeah, leg I or think whatever. he got it in the arm. Okay. Yeah. I, gotcha. I, and what happened was, um, we got home and we met him got off the plane and we all met down for dinner down at Adrian's when that ah, was there. Throwback. And uh, Bob Christensen was Patty Christensen who worked for me. Her husband was a doctor and he came down with a second rabies shot and did it right in the back room. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, funny. I know. Oh, boy. But uh, going back to the, the travel stories in mm-hmm. general, I don't know if there's any particular trips that stand out to you if it was maybe when you 
came back and realized that you were going to do the new store location or if there's just any any unique experiences from that time that you wanted to talk about because I just think that um, travel in general is so exciting we learn so much when we travel we experience you know Chris loves to try new foods and new restaurants and and he's taking pictures. We come back with a ton of pictures. I go into every single jewelry store at anywhere we travel and we get ideas and, and we just dream some more and talk about it. And I think when traveling works your brain in a different way, especially when you're in a foreign country, you have to really figure out, well, okay, how am I, how am I going to get here to there? And do I take the train or the bus or, you know, a boat or how do you do it? And you just, we love that aspect of it. And so, um, like we're headed on a cruise. It's a cruise that we've planned for with friends for a, like three years making. The first year was COVID. The second year, um, the the um, cruise line went bankrupt. <laughs> and so this third year, we're finally doing it. And then we're going to go to Rome um, in November for a board meeting for Federated. And we have, um, I travel four times a year with the American Gem Society and four times a year with Federated. So it's just, it's and there's a lot of travel right now, but we love it. Very neat. Mm-hmm. Well, travel is one of the questions I had for our wind down final five. So I'm going to ask you, um, I'm just going to kind of jump into that right off the bat here because it just makes sense. But um, favorite place or a place that you would call heaven on earth for Sarah and CJ or just for you if you're traveling, you know, uh, with boards, do you, do you bring CJ with? Uh, do you usually so bring a spouse with, with on most of these trips? Like on the Federated Fall trip, we always bring our spouses. Okay. And then the American Gem Society, we've been traveling. Yes, as like a family, cool. like because Maria's on the board, so yeah, we bring the babies, the husbands. Yeah, everybody goes. Well, that's it's it's awesome that you can do that and and mm-hmm. take time for yourselves. As far as a favorite place, like what is the place though that's the most just serene, calm, inspirational place for you guys? Um, we go to Lake Okoboji. Ah, <laughs> I'm thinking across 20, the big pond. Yeah, no, for... There you go. Lake Okoboji has been an amazing place for our family. It's an hour and a half from Mankato. Um, we've had a place on the lake for 25 years. Um, I cannot tell you how many great, family experiences that we've had there and it will always have a special place in my heart and I think I hopefully our kids will continue that tradition and we got sirens going on back there but yeah and continue that tradition and just you know they love it so much Carter got engaged at our home in Okaboji to Nia Maria and Landon got married at our home in Okaboji so it's just been like a place where we can all come together, totally unwind, relax, and enjoy making dinners together, conversation, talking about our dreams. It's beautiful. And what a beautiful spot, too. And it's only an hour and a half away. An so hour that's and a half. wonderful. Yep. Iowa. Iowa. Good old <laughs> Iowa. Yes. <laughs> it's wonderful. Anything else, Wesley Warner, tonight? No, oh, keep it going with the wind-down. All right, cool. Rock and roll. Well, Sarah, I've got four more questions for you on the wind-down, brought to you by our good friends at Chankaska. Favorite piece of jewelry that you've ever sold? That I've ever sold? That you've ever sold. Okay, let me think about that. I think it was 
a diamond ring that I sold to an elderly couple that um, they came in and they met on eHarmony.com. And um, they're in their 70s. And he came in and he said, um, you know, we just got engaged. We bought a Cadillac. <laughs> we are taking dancing lessons. And I want to buy her a diamond ring that's so beautiful that when I spin her around on the dance floor, they see how beautiful she is, but then they see how beautiful her ring is too. And it was just so cool. And so he did. He bought her a beautiful diamond ring. And Wonderful story. Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah. It's a, we have so many, there's so many, many stories. And that's what I love about my job is romantic, beautiful, sentimental, you know, forever stories. We should really have a collection of, we should write a book about it because it's, yeah. it's that powerful. So cool. Yeah. When you think about it, yeah. The, the excitement, the, the, the love of the people that you're working with. Yeah. I mean, they're really who buys jewelry when they're in a bad mood or for some bad occasion. Right. Depends on what you did to Molly lately. Or Getting out of the doghouse. <laughs> I mean, I suppose. Do those work? And maybe if it's Julie from Exclusively Diamonds, it works. But I, if I screw up, I'm like, yeah. uh, the flower thing. I mean, it's just, it's so cliche to me that I'm like, nah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. But you maybe, guys maybe. Don't, you never screw up. Yeah, that, that's really the do. right answer. The you heard that. Put it. I don't know if I'm stealing a question off the list, but I'm going to do an addendum to that and say, uh, favorite piece of jewelry that you own? Um, well, my diamond cross. Yeah. So I had this. Um, I had my bracelet and my diamond cross on the day of the abduction attempt. And uh, my bracelet broke, but I still have my diamond cross. All my other jewelry was in my purse. Yeah. And um, so. So that's this one, right? That's that one. Yeah. yeah. So my uh, my grandma has that same piece bought Does from she? Exclusively Diamonds. She passed away and passed it on to my Aunt Susie. And she still wears it every single day. It's it's just so such a nice piece. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Very meaningful. Question number three. Sarah's morning routine. Okay. What's mornings like? When do you wake up? What do you do? Mm-hmm. What do you eat? For all of our wonderful fans. They want to know stories they of really know cool that? people. They they want to <laughs> know these things. What are the best people in this oh. area doing in the morning? <laughs> so um, I've always used morning to like just regain energy, like somehow do, you know, some type of meditation. I, I do a soul time right now in the morning. Um, I love it. It's like a, you know, a meditation that's based on uh, Christianity's in the Bible. And I just love it. And then I, read some verses, and I just contemplate on that. I like to sit and have a cup of coffee and then hot water. I drink a lot of hot water um, because I can only have, like, about a three-quarters cup of coffee because I'm already so wired all the time anyway, you know, so. (laughs) um, But I um, then I work out. I have to do a workout every day, and um, I know that if I do those two things right in the morning, 
like I've got a great start to my day. If I get to, if I have to miss out on one of those, I feel like I got cheated a little bit in the morning because it just gives me so much energy to do that start. And I really think about a lot of gratitude um, during that time, just about things that I'm grateful for because I, I feel like gratitude is underestimated the power of that. Um, it's been proven that it can help with disease. It can help a person's soul. It can help their mind and you know their health, everything. And so I feel like um, the more grateful you are, the more happy you are, and happy people are important. So I feel like that's that's something that I really work on. Um, Chris and I sit and visit in the morning. That's a time when we always sit and visit. I used to run into work really early, um, and I don't do that anymore. I sit and we visit because we know that the rest of the day is going to be, we're going to be on call and needed, and now we can just sit there and talk. And since I've started a slower day, getting to work at 9, 9.30 versus like 8 o'clock, I feel like... Um, just really ready once I get there to be present. Sounds like a more fulfilling day too. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Connecting with your significant other mm-hmm. in the morning. That's huge. Question number four, different path. I labeled it. Let's say, I know you love what you do, mm-hmm. right? But a lot of people who love what they do even today, to uh, today and even in business, they sometimes say, gosh, if I were to go back though, in the beginning, mm-hmm. think about that, I would have maybe done this. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think about that? What would be the different path that you would take if the jewelry thing didn't work out for you or you decided to maybe pivot? Mm-hmm. What path would that be, do you think? So I always wanted to be a college professor. Really? <laughs> yes. Follow and, the teaching, the teaching mm-hmm. genetics, if yes. you will, in your family. And, um, you know, I get to teach in what I do anyway. Um, yeah. and, and then I'm chair of the education committee right now for um, the American Gem Society. So, like, education is really important to me. And um, I love that age, the college age, because it's like they have the whole world open to them. They can do absolutely anything they set their mind to. It's just they need some encouragement. They need some guidance. They need somebody like championing them. And I think I would have I would have loved to have met a college professor too. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Haven't heard that one before here on the Get Deep podcast that I remember anyway. Question number five, the last one of the night. It's called purpose, mm-hmm. and I think it's good to ask people this because through all the life experience you've had, Sarah, from, you know, uh, throwing parties and serving Walter's beer and, yeah. you know, Claire and, and whatnot to, um, having children and running business mm-hmm. and going through some traumatic events, um, and learning through it all and continuing to thrive. Right. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. What do you feel like your purpose on this earth is? I think it is to, inspire and motivate others that I'm around. I think it's to serve, to serve like our community, my clients, God. I feel like um, 
that purpose-driven life is so important to have, and it gets me up every day, and I'm excited to do something every day. I can't even wait for the day to start. I get how many? I, I go to sleep, and then it's like, okay, wish I didn't have to sleep because I want to get up and get ready and make it happen the next day. I love making things happen, and so um, I don't know. That's a, a lot in that question for an answer, but. <laughs> I mean, it's probably, you think about, I've been blessed. I've been blessed with a wonderful family, incredible friends, um, wonderful work family, um, children, grandchildren, travel. I mean, I'm just so grateful and thankful for it all. And I know that in a blink of an eye, something could happen and it could all be gone. And I just am... I'm just kind of savoring right in those moments right now. And I just, I love life. I love my life right now. Well, thank you so much for coming on the the show, Sarah. I said this when we were off air and I'm going to try and say it the same way again, but uh, I just, I so appreciate you, all of your family, really. I mean, both you and CJ come from multi-generational businesses and you didn't just take what you were given and, and rest on it, you built it, made it bigger, added on, did new things. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mankato so needs that. And we would not be the community that we are if it wasn't for everything that your family's doing. Uh, wow. You guys have really shaped this place and continue to do so. And it's, it's super appreciated. And um, I think people that listen to this hopefully can take away a little bit of that same type of risk-taking entrepreneurialism and hopefully... Uh, do some of that same work because it's it's just wonderful and so thank you for all you do well Mankato's blessed us too this community has and I mean we wouldn't be anything that we're do we wouldn't do anything without all the people that are loyal friends and families that come in every day to eat at our places or shop at the store or you know it just is amazing this community and what it's how it's grown and we're proud of Mankato the whole region um, it's just been a place that we have really treasured raising a family and then watching our kids raise their kids. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. No, it, thank you very much. It's amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah, for well, all you do and, and your family does for this, this community. It's sure fun to watch and all those inspiration and, uh, sessions that you guys have about growing business and making your businesses better from the restaurants to, to what you do exclusively. I mean, it's, it's fun to see and obviously we love supporting them. So it's, it's awesome. Well, thank you guys for what you're doing. This is a, this is quite the, quite the, uh, business model that you've put together and it's amazing. What a legacy this is for all of Mankato to have, you know, you do this and you take the time to really dig into a person's soul and it's really neat. And so thank thank you. you for, your energy that you put forth in this. This is cool. Thanks. Appreciate that. We're going to continue to keep it going. So yeah, thanks for being one of the people that also sits down with us for over two hours and tells your story. So that's a beautiful thing. (laughs) So, and again, on the, the uh, attitude of gratitude front, thank you listeners and watchers of the get deep podcast. We really, really appreciate you tuning in tonight with Sarah Pearson. And if you've enjoyed the experience, give us a five-star rating if you can. We'd love that. And please, if you see Wes or myself or Sarah out and about, give us a suggestion on somebody else you think would be great in the Get Deep podcast because there's a lot of people doing wonderful things. Thanks for joining us.